Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. This is Jay. I'm a fire shana, twisted fire shana, shana, shana. Is that why I'm you chose fire, fire starter? <laughs> um, it might be. Maybe. I mean, I I knew when I chose it that I was going to do that, and, and I'm sure everybody <laughs> did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so our first feature this week, we're talking about. Wow. Good. Man. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, there is. Kitty. And uh, yeah, there is a cat in the other yard, and that is not oh. okay. Or in the, in our yard, rather, and that is not okay. Oh my goodness. Well, we mm-hmm. might be hearing a bit of uh, Plum's displeasure at her territory being invaded, but our first film this week is uh, The Lost Boys, uh, 1987 picture, which is, of course, directed by Joel Schumacher. Uh, I totally had it mixed up last <laughs> week. Uh, I I was thinking of Near Dark is the uh, Catherine Bigelow vampire picture from the same era, which is also really great. Yeah, yeah you, you told me that you did correct or you do, told me earlier immediately we, after we hung up immediately after yeah. yes after like, but wait, for some I... reason in my head i was still expecting a Catherine bigelow movie and that would have been a very different movie than this yeah very different and it is very different uh near dark is kind of a vampire western oh uh you got uh uh bill paxton in it uh, uh you've got lance henriksen you know come on some of the aliens dudes because uh catherine bigelow was married to james cameron at the time i believe oh really yeah uh but that's not the picture we're talking about this week we're no, talking not. about the lost boys another joel schumacher picture we've previously talked about batman forever <laughs> um i'm beginning to see a theme a kind of a pattern of the types of movies that he likes to make yeah, they're like they're very different movies, but they have a shared aesthetic and yep. kind of a, a shared feeling. Uh, there, there's a feeling to a Joel Schumacher movie. Very neon and very gay, but like very gay. not but, never comes out and says it just stops a little short of that and even tries to fool us with like sometimes straight sex or romance scenes that are just not real. Well, it's very. 80s uh and and like it it has that 80s thing where it's like 80s culture was just co-opted queer culture where they're like ah but you can't be gay or talk about gay sexuality (laughs) in any way but we're gonna just gonna take all of the culture and all of the fashion all of that and then we'll we'll just borrow (laughs) that for a decade you can't be gay, but we can do your gay stuff. <laughs> so this is set in Santa Cruz. It uh, uses the fake name of Santa Carla, or is it Santa Carlos? I think it's Carla. Uh, Santa Carla, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's Santa Cruz. It is the Santa Cruz boardwalk. Uh, and we, we open with uh, the great song that you hear a lot of times throughout this movie, uh, the distinctive song from this movie, the cry, little sister. Oh, um, yeah, I, I was, I was, I was gonna actually almost use that song for for my intro, but then I couldn't mm. remember how it went. 
Oh, see, you, you should have because you hear it like a good six or eight times during the oh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I love that song. The the soundtrack to this movie is really great. It is good. It, actually, I love this. I like this movie a lot. It's a it's, lot of fun. It's all over the place. It's kind of a mess. <laughs> it's uh, a it's bit a of a game. mess, but it's it works. It's a neon mess. Uh, but yeah, like it's always probably been my favorite Joel Schumacher film. Um, I don't know what else, if I've seen anything else of his besides this and his Batmans, but I like this better than, I definitely like like this better than Batman and Robin. Uh, Batman, yeah, I like this better than Batman Forever, I think, but I like those both for different reasons. Right. There's like Flatliners was i think the one before this that's decent uh i've seen a bunch of his movies he's got a strange filmography uh but this one you know we we start out with the neon of the boardwalk carnival which rules i love this stuff yeah yeah um off screen over to the side we see we don't see um not appearing in this film young lupita nyong'o going into a funhouse mirror thing Right, yeah. It's, uh, It'd that be around count. this time. Somewhere around here. This is, this is 87, so yeah, somewhere around there, I guess. It could be mm-hmm. around there. Maybe. No, I feel like that's like 90s in that movie because... You know you're right, it would be. be oh, time. when did Hands Across America happen? <laughs> oh, no, that is 80s. Maybe it is 87. Hmm. Uh, but we, we see uh, Kiefer Sutherland, very... Fresh-faced teen. I think he was 18 years old. Kiefer Sutherland. Did not recognize him at all. I was like, hey, wow, this is just somehow hotter Spike from Buffy. <laughs> it's uh, uh, Jack Bauer's CTU. Uh, and he, he's he got, it's, it's him and his vampire boys. They're all on a carousel, just starting fights with people in slow-mo. To yeah. the opening credits and like the song it rules. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And along comes Paul Blart to save the day. Yeah, he kicks them out. So of course, uh, we we see that amazing shot of him getting taken out in the parking lot. Uh, as like when the things close down for the night, he's alone crossing the parking lot. Yep, and we don't see what it is. It's. It's just like it's a POV shot of something coming down from the sky and him freaking out, trying to get into the car. And it just we don't never see what it is, but it rips him up into the sky and the car door, too. He must have had a really good grip on that door. Yeah. And like having seen the movie a lot of times and knowing that it is flying (laughs) Kiefer Sutherland and Alex Winter. Uh, it 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 does kind of always strike me as funny seeing that scene because like I'm I'm picturing them flying oh, down yeah, on him and that's comical. Flying. And, and like to me, his reaction is like, "Oh my god, he's seeing a monster and he's freaking out and gonna die." I would be like, "What the fuck?" I, w- I wouldn't I, have that terrified reaction. I'd be confused as shit. I don't know. I feel like it would still be terrifying. It's just. <laughs> It would be terrifying in a different sort of way. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they, they eat this cop. We don't know that it's them yet, but it's kind no. of already sort of heavily implied. Well, 
if you're here's the thing if you're watching with subtitles we do know it's them because it says in the subtitles lost boys chanting and whispering in background although i guess we don't know they're the lost boys yet either i suppose we don't you're right uh but so we we meet up with our main family uh we've got Corey haim as sam uh jason patrick as michael and diane wiest <laughs> Uh, as their mom Lucy, is it? Lucy, actually. Lucy. Which I didn't. I don't know if they mentioned her name before, but I didn't catch her name until the end. Because isn't Lucy the name of like the main girl that Dracula wants to fuck? Uh, I think, or, or one of the main girls. I think she is. I think it's Lucy Harker. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm not sure. It's been a while since I've read I don't, the book or watched. Yeah any of the main film versions of it but yeah like i that. don't know if that's intentional or not but i thought it was a nice touch it could very well be could be uh but yeah so we, we have them driving into town they're the newest in town we're actually watching them arrive uh and, and we get uh people are strange by uh, echo and the Bunnymen playing over the opening yep and we got like basically just seeing all these different all the different sites in the city, like all the, but like all the grungy bits of it, all the punk kids, all the. Um, it's it's like a montage of real Santa Cruz goth teens and oddballs. Definitely real because none of these oh, people yeah. show up in the movie proper. Yeah, no, the, these are just like the the real scene people. Uh, yeah. We also, of course, notably see a lot of missing posters. Yes, we do. Um, a lot of the same kids. Um, some, but you know, there, there's like three or four different ones, but we do see a lot of them later on. We're going to see our security guard go up on a missing poster. Oh, <laughs> poor Paul Blart. Uh, R.I.P. Eat, eaten by vampires. Uh, uh I watched that movie. Paul Blart I... is eaten by vampires. Uh, so they arrive at their grandpa's where for some reason he's just lying on the stoop pretending to be dead. I don't <laughs> Yeah, the mom's like, oh my god, dad, are you dead? And the kid's like, if he's dead, can we go back to Arizona? <laughs> I'm like, no. It's <laughs> not. <laughs> the grandpa is quite a character, huh? He's, I love the grandpa. Uh, I was wondering why he very, he seemed to take great pains to exit the movie anytime anything's about to happen. I kind of wondered about that until, you know, until the end. And it's like, oh, I see. I see. You're yeah, holding Joel, him back just for this one thing. Joel Schumacher mentions in the commentary track that most people suspected the grandpa of being the head vampire at various times. Like that, that was a, a thing he got is that a lot of people thought that the grandpa was secretly the head vampire. And then when Simpsons parody that actually. Yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, when Simpsons. Simpsons, the Simpsons parodied this more or less in one of like the classic uh, uh, Treehouse of Horrors, uh, Grandpa oh. Simpson is a, I'm the head vampire. You know, the, oh, you know, the right. classic one with the Mr. Burns and right, the Happy right, Farm right. Slide. And it's all like, it's like, no, I'm the head vampire. Yeah, it's like no. very heavily based on this movie. Yeah, I never got the vibe that he was the head vampire. I thought no. maybe he was going to be in the Van Helsing allegory, which... Right, kind of. Spoiler so. alert, uh, 
kind of, little bit, not quite. But he was kind of supposed to be semi-red herring, where, like, you might, it, it, looking at the clues, he kind of fits because of, you know, him as well just being an oddball and uh, having just, all, you know, all of this taxidermy, his creepy, creepy house. Honestly, I think the better red herring was the red herring, red herring. It's like, no, it's not really him. Oh, yeah, it is. I, yeah, they, they I think that was well. cool. I think, I yeah, I, I think it's really well handled the way they do it. I, yeah, like, no, I, I, I dig his house, uh, all the taxidermy, uh, with both of the kids making the reference to Texas Chainsaw Massacre off the top. Yeah, yeah. he's It's one of those, like, houses with all, like, in the middle of the woods, but it's got all the weird shit in the yard. Yeah. Uh, and he's a taxidermist, so he's got just tons of antlers and uh, just weird stuffed animals all over the place. He's got a death room. Well, yeah, What's it looks like a death room. It's really room. just a yeah. Well, it looks like he's just got a pile of antlers and skulls lying on the table. Well, he definitely does. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, he does. I. I... Uh, so we learn that uh, Lucy Weist is this newly divorced mom, but she's broke. She didn't get any money out of it. But she got the kids. She got the kids. Uh, I and, and good. Good chemistry between uh, Corey Haim and Jason Patrick as brothers. I, they Actually, do really yes. read well as uh, they, brothers. Yes, they do. They they don't read as two people who have just met each other today and are forced to get along. They I feel like they've hated each other all the time, but not really. Like like it works. It works. Like there's a lot of affection there. Like it, it feels pretty authentic. Both like mm. the highs and lows of it. Yeah, totally. So they they arrive and like there's no television and no television at all. But Grandpa gets his TV guide though. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need TV if you got the TV guide. You just read the TV guide, and you don't need the TV. Uh, and we also see surreptitiously shown that he is a weed grower. Oh yeah, right. That doesn't really come into play, but yes, he is. Yeah, just kind of thrown out there that he's, you know, uh, just, he's he's a California weirdo. <laughs> yep. So, like, we, we set up all our characters and we have the first night on the boardwalk, which starts out with the legendary sax man. Uh, yeah, some jacked shirtless dude with a sax singing this song. Tim Capella is the dude's name. Uh, okay, like, th cool. this is... This is one of those really famous clips that is maybe the most shared clip from this movie. Just for some reason, this exuberant shirtless sax man is really giving it. Uh, and it's where Michael meets his love interest, quote unquote. <laughs> quote unquote. There's this relationship kind of almost doesn't need to be in the movie, but I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Meets his but, romantic MacGuffin. Yeah, romantic MacGuffin, that's more right. She, he's like, he's doing the whole, I'm the moody teenager and I'm just going to look at you angrily and this is hot. And she seems to be actually not interested in him at all and looking at, just more interested in the dude with the saxophone and not really looking at him. But she, but he's like, turns out she was 
quote unquote interested in him, but it's it's this whole thing. I don't understand how flirting works. Yeah, I think she's totally interested in him, but the like the the thing is that there's a uh, conflicted uh, romance options here, and, and that's sure kind is. of key. Uh, so this is Jamie Gertz uh, playing Star, uh, and uh, yeah, she's she doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. She's sort of just uh, there to be window dressing around the scenes. She's uh, a, a well, reason she... to do a bunch of different things, yeah. but she... she's she brings uh, Michael to the real love interest. Well, sort of. He he kind of gets in between them. So, like, we we see the mom also looking for a job. Oh, yes, and she she finds a lost kid uh, and brings him into brings the kid into this movie store, and then the mother finds the kid immediately. Uh, so, and the, so that sorry, kid. go ahead. Yeah, regarding Wait, is that, that kid? kid. No. Oh, son of a bitch. Okay, no, sorry. But, say what you're gonna say because I'm thinking something completely yeah, no. different. So the kid, I, I feel that this kid has been left out in front of the video store as a sacrifice to the boys. Could be. Because this is, uh, so spoiler alerts, Edward Harriman, playing Max, runs this video store. Uh, and he is the head vampire. He turns out to be, much later on, the head vampire. Uh, yep. and. They show up just after she reunites the the kid with the parent, and they sort of hang around and loiter a bit, and they're like, hmm. Uh, and, like, while she's approaching the kid and reuniting her, like, we see Max watching her, and like, hmm, not sure what to do about that. Yeah, well, that's that's a good... Uh... That's an interesting thought. I I had assumed at first that he was watching her because he's like, I'm creepy and she's hot. But no, I, I like your thought that maybe this kid, because it's all it's all children that are missing, right? Yeah, well, like except we saw, for Paul Blart. We we saw tons of missing posters of children. Although maybe that's as we were saying earlier, that's just how it was in the eighties. Because I kind of remember it being kind of like that. In the oh, 80s. it was. Um, yeah. The nexus there, there of the eight. outdoor kid era and the serial killer era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were a lot, of, a lot of missing kids, a lot of posters for the missing kids. Yeah, and there's that uh, Soul Asylum music video. Oh, yes. <laughs> so uh, she gets hired by uh, Max in, at the video store. And Max also gives them a little trouble, like them loitering. It's like, I told you not to come in here anymore. Yeah, and I see plays it off really well because I really thought that he was just doing a mall, uh, Paul Blart thing, like it doesn't realize that these guys are vampires. Right. He just thinks they're assholes. Um. So, it, like, this is a good, this is a good fake out. This guy. Yeah, I think Max is really solidly done in this movie and that like he just seems like this bumbling doofus who does end up being the head vampire. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Especially because like he also they also have like a, a whole bit where they think he's the head vampire and then find out that he's not and then it turns out he is. But like it's completely convincing that both 
they would think that he is and then think that he isn't. Mm. Yeah, no, so. the, the whole thing with Haim is really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so meanwhile, Corey Haim has found the comic shop run by <laughs> the Frog Brothers. <laughs> I thought that these two were just checking him out when he came in. Uh, I mean, weird, I mean, they right? were, but not like yes. not the way not the way I thought. No, it totally looks like oh, who's the new boy. Uh, but it, it's new fresh meat. And also, I didn't register that they were supposed to be working at the comic book store the first time. Well, because they're kids. They're because they're kids olds. and they're yeah. dressed like Rambo's. <laughs> and like the thirteen-year-old Corey Feldman doing his adult voice. <laughs> he's try- he's doing a ra- they're doing Rambo voices. Well, it, like it's almost him trying to do his Batman voice. It's like, yeah. oh, you better watch out for vampires. <laughs> he's like strong bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's just it's, it's so like that. Yeah, like of course they're not checking him out or at least uh, uh textually they're not checking him out but like they're bothered by his high 80s mall fashion clothes they don't believe he's a comic book nerd like them oh is that okay i i didn't catch that uh, subtext at all but all right because that's why they start interrogating him about comics they, they think like he's just out of place here because you know he's a city well, mall is, kid. He is out of place here. I thought, okay. And then he shows off his comics knowledge like, you can't put the number 300 in with the number 65 because that's when the story arc is like, Ugh. you also can't put 300 in with 65 because it's not uh, how numbers work. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it's just utter nerdular nerdulence and I don't need it, but I get it. It's like, okay, he's proved himself to them. I yeah. Guess. Well, I mean, like this is what kids did this. Yes. I did this. Oh yeah. You, you got to show off your, your, your nerd cred. Yeah. Uh, and like cred was a big thing, especially going into the nineties. Like the, mm-hmm. the kids who would grow up to be nineties kids. Remember <laughs> mm-hmm. only nineties kids. Well, like, Feldman is very proto-grunge. He's got oh, the yeah. plaid, he's got the army surplus pants, of course, there's the Rambo headband, and him going, all the time. <laughs> we gotta get these vampires. <laughs> and they try to force uh, Corey Haim to take this Vampires Everywhere comic book, but he doesn't read horror comics. Yeah, and, and here is where here's where I clicked into what the, these guys were actually doing because they're pointedly looking at the punk kids who are starting some shit as they're handing up the thing so i'm like oh you're basically handing him a comic book that says hey there are some vampires disguised as punk kids in santa clara beach and uh they are living at this address and here's what you do to avoid them yeah, like he, they they are trying to warn him to some extent, but there is also still that territorial comic book thing where they're oh, like, sure. you know, we we gotta show this kid, uh, make sure that he's cool before we care about saving him, because these guys are kind of jerks. As they kind of <laughs> a little bit, they're kind of kind of doltish idiots. Uh, <laughs> like, okay, I feel like each brother is in a different movie. Uh, like he's in his. Like, um, uh, first, like his it, uh, Stranger Things children fighting against the vampire story, whereas his mm-hmm. brother is in his 
uh, homoerotic proto Twilight story, and they're and they oh, yeah. intersect in weird ways that they they are. I, I thought you were talking about the Frog Brothers, and like the Frog oh, Brothers no, no, are no. pretty oh, consistently sorry. doing no, their dumb thing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those two are definitely on the same page. Oh yeah, yeah. No, the same not. comic page. Uh, so like there's right there there are all those uh punks having like a fight at the entrance to the comic store and stealing some stuff and taking off, and we'll see all of those guys later because they all get killed. (laughs) (laughs) So the the girl gets on a motorbike with Kiefer Sutherland uh, and takes off. So like she's not going with. Michael, as it turns out, she she's leaving with Kiefer. She's leaving with David. I don't think we get his name for a bit yet. Yeah, but he but he's David, and mm-hmm. Michael's like oh, he makes eyes he? at them. Yeah, he makes <laughs> eyes at them. So keep so uh, so David's got to go in and be like, hey, I can't remember what he does, but basically, like, I gotta be bullying you. I think that's the next time because like oh, is it the he, next time because he doesn't oh, actually no, he doesn't meet her him. here yeah he, no he doesn't just, follow like, him this time yeah no he sees her through the crowd and he's just kind of trying to follow her interspersed through all of these scenes and then he sees her leave with Kiefer, i believe right right but he keep oh yeah no you're right it's not until the next scene that he goes with him because after mm-hmm. seeing her leave with Kiefer, he somehow thinks he has a chance against this guy against star uh so like (laughs) and this is where we see the first of uh the the vampire slings or like the first proper one uh so this is one of these punks who stole the comic books because they're reading one of the stolen comics while they're making out in a car (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) is this the one where somebody like comes and just rips the roof off of the car yeah, the whole roof is just suddenly turned off or torn off when they hear some noises. It's like, oh god, it's Q the winged serpent. I don't feel like these guys are peeling a, the top of a car off like a can. <laughs> no, I think they're. From what they're I've like seen of them flying. later, that doesn't seem likely. But uh, these guys, these aren't that kind of vampire, and the damage I, they do with these attacks doesn't doesn't add up. Yeah, it kind of suggests to me more of a kaiju in that moment. Kind <laughs> of. Just the, the whole roof is just torn off like nothing. Uh, and yeah, they're pulled up into the air screaming, much like the guard was. So we know it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we establish Grandpa's rad old car. Uh, oh, but he yeah, won't take right. it anymore. Won't ta- he doesn't want to take it into town and... Nobody but him is allowed to drive it, but he will let you sit in the passenger seat while he revs the engine in the garage. Yeah, like he takes uh, Sam out to the the garage and like, all right, uh, start up the old car. He's like, all right. And he like starts it up and doesn't move it at all and just turns it back on. Well, this is as close to town as I like to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but somehow Sam gets into town. He he goes to the comic shop again to uh, talk to the Frog Brothers because he's intrigued. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And and this is where like they they really continue to push. Uh, they're they're like you know there's something weird about Santa Carla. And they, you know 
have you heard about vampires and they're they're pushing the vampire economy again they're like yeah this one is a vampire survival guide yeah you know there's maybe what you need to to, what you're going to need to survive living in Santa Carla. And it's got our phone number on the back. Wink, wink, nudge, 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 nudge. <laughs> um, I feel like this brother's uh, room should have been the older brother's bedroom. I, I don't know if it's here that we get to it or if it's <laughs> uh, a bit later. A little bit later, I think. Uh, Sam, you mean? Yeah, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, some of the posters in his room. Uh, yeah, little, I, little I did note them when we got there. Oh, I noted them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and we also get Michael coming to town, and Star approaches him, notably. Right. Yes. And she offers to pierce his ear because, like, he's just sort of loitering around in ear piercing kiosk or whatever, <laughs> looking for her. Yeah. Uh, And they're about to and like she gets on his bike and they're going to ride somewhere. But that's when the lost. Okay, yeah, that's when this this is when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so like she immediately like, you know, Kiefer shows up, so she has to go to Kiefer's bike. Uh, She he's he owns her right now. So. (laughs) and Michael's like, man, I can't beat your bike. And Kiefer's like, dude, you don't got to beat me. Just keep up. Yeah. And like, it, it's interesting because like it's it's played as this sort of it, it's very Top Gun, you know, that uh, the, like the the Val Kelmer doing the bite at <laughs> Tom Cruise. Um, I never seen Top Gun. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. It's got some of this energy. Oh, OK. Uh, but like, you know, with, with Kiefer and uh jason patrick or, or uh, uh david and michael it's it's this, it's immediately this sort of thing where it's like hey why don't you come with us like the the girl kind of fades into the background oh yeah i immediately from rapidly. this point until like almost the end i forget that the girl exists there are a number of action scenes where she's just asleep and they're moving her around like a chess piece <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah, um, she she does say something in like the next scene to try to warn uh, uh, Michael that he just blows it off, and I, I even forget that that warning even happens because she's literally faded into the background. Like they just put her in the background for the rest yep. of the movie, and I think it's intentional too, except like, for the sex scene. Oh yeah, I mean you gotta they bring her back for that. You gotta. <laughs> it's too early for the gay sex scene that's supposed to be in there. Yeah. So they they go racing on the beach, which is dangerous. You know, riding uh, motorcycles on sand is super dangerous. And they are riding without helmets, for real. And, yep. And, you know, there's also playing chicken with a cliff on sand. Also very dangerous. In fog. In fog, yes, yes. And Michael, you know, they 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 spill the bikes and they get to the end. And Michael punches Kiefer, and you know, Kiefer just cool as always. Like, how far are you willing to go, Michael? And it it's definitely a are are they gonna kiss moment? <laughs> it's like, are are you willing to go all the way? <laughs> like, hmm, what's what's gonna happen here? 
Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> and Michael's uh, like I, the way I interpreted it, or the way I saw it, it looked like these two have different ideas what's going on because Michael's like, only you, man, you and me, let's fight, and Keeper's just like. I think this is a cool guy. He gets to hang with us. And it's like, I hate this guy. and I want to beat you up. He's very relaxed about it all the time. It's, it's a very similar uh, vibe to uh, the, the main boy in nightmare on Elm street two. And his, uh, I guess he's sort of coded to be the bully, but he's just the love interest. <laughs> and well, it, like, yeah, he's not really, he's uh, very chill kinda, about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's not really a bully after this. Like, there's a thing we hear later that uh, on this particular night, the idea is that Michael was supposed to be uh, uh, Star's first kill and that they were taking him <laughs> along as food, basically. I feel like they changed their mind halfway through this plan. Well, yeah, he shows up <laughs> and is like, I could kind of keep roll with this guy for a while. Uh, and yeah, that that does kind of seem like immediately the thing is like we were gonna feed him to you, but we kind of just want to roll with him. So yeah. <laughs> we're we're gonna bring out the the brandy uh, with the ancestral blood, just like yeah. Herschel and Lewis used. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let him. We're actually gonna let him roll with us. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll actually let you be his first victim. That'd be funny. <laughs> they don't do this, but no, it no. would it would be funny. Yeah. So. Uh, they go to their vampire clubhouse slash. I fucking cave. love this place. <laughs> <laughs> I I wish shit like this existed for real, and you could just go there and like the government did didn't seize it all, even if it was real. So the idea is that it's like this ancient hotel that, in the great big earthquake of 1906 just got swallowed up in the earthquake and is perfectly preserved underground. But nobody but these vampires knows about it. It looks like a location in a Cure music video. It's oh yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, they they have like a big, this there's palace? a big shrine to Jim Morrison in there. A big Jim Morrison shrine, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I really like their clubhouse and like the entrance is it's a cave entrance and you have to like you know go go to the cliff and climb down and stuff. Yeah. It's great. It's a really cool location. Uh, we we mm-hmm. see, yeah, this, this is it's it's interspersed with this that we see uh, Sam in his bedroom and we see that he has the, like that <laughs> the Rob Lowe pinup where he's got like a sexy half shirt on. <laughs> There's a few. He's got a few hot dude posters. I'm like, there are a few hot dude are posters. Are you sure they did? I feel like the set designers kind of switched his room, the two brothers' rooms around here. He should have his Batman uh, posters, and the other guy should have his hot dude posters. But see, that's the thing I'm saying about the 80s, is that they just sort of, like, th- that was just normal. That that wasn't even a weird thing. You, you saw this all the time, just all sorts of, uh, just pictures of hot people and it didn't really matter the gender that much suppose. Uh, and the, the the neon like especially the clothing that they have sam wearing all the time <laughs> uh very you know 80s high mall fashion oh yeah uh, yeah uh it, but uh i i think 
Schumacher says on the commentary that like he'd just done a movie with Rob Lowe and he just thought this poster was hilarious, so he included it. <laughs> kind of. I mean, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> just sitting in this guy's bedroom, I'm just like so distracted by the poster that I don't even remember what they're talking about in this scene. It's where he gives him the stuffed beaver. <laughs> oh, right. The grandpa. So yeah. the grandpa gives him a stuffed beaver beaver uh and puts it on his dresser and this turns into this turns into a bit of a gag because the kid wakes up he's like sees he's like oh my god this is scary i don't want this i'm sticking it in the closet Mm -hmm. Uh, and and back at the cave the lost boys have some chinese food (laughs) (laughs) it's like hey man here here eat this chinese food have some rice okay it's maggots it's maggots, bro. Look, how do you like your maggots? You know, you're eating maggots. And he, and looks, he looks down at his maggots. Because they've done, like, the Jedi mind trick on him. Yeah. 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 Um, he drops it on the floor and is like, dude, what are you doing? It's not maggots. It's just rice, bro. Here, have some udon noodles. Don't like, why don't you try some worms? Yeah. And he, like, he, he shows him, he's like, ugh. It's like, it's just noodles. Just and then he goes to eat it. It's like, dude, don't eat that. And it's like, come on, man, it's just noodles. They're, they're like, it's it's such pranky bullshit. It's like, I'm not it's gonna so hit good. you. You oh, look, you flinch, you flinched, bro, you flinched. <laughs> sir, you flinched. You flinched, sir. I did not flinch when I ate these worms. Uh, <laughs> so they they bring out their. Very elaborately decorated antique bottle. <laughs> this bottle is amazing. <laughs> this is like it's all bejeweled. It's got like yeah. a metal sleeve on it. Like like it belongs to the Overlook Hotel. Or, yeah, or it's, would it's if like, they didn't take all the booze out of the Overlook Hotel. Very key. Uh but yeah, it's it's all dusty. They're like be one of us, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he and doesn't he, clue in. <laughs> no, and he, he drinks the wine. And here the girl just shows up again briefly for a second to say, it's blood, Michael. And Michael's She's like, in the background mm-hmm. all the time. She's like, don't don't drink it, Michael. It's blood. <laughs> like literally says those words. Yeah. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's he, blood. Yeah. And he's like, uh-huh. And he caves to peer pressure and he goes, Cry, little sister. <laughs> it's got like this whole montage thing of him drinking the wine from the bottle. Um, so Kiefer must have changed the taste of the wine because blood and wine don't taste the same. No, they don't. Or it could be a thing where like they've mixed blood and wine. Oh, uh, that could be. Because you can have wine that has kind of a salty, rich flavor like that. I guess. I guess that's, I suppose that's true. You know, true. red wine. Uh, also, and, or, I feel like he's not a sommelier. Oh, probably not. Or, or it could be the thing like in that Herschel Gordon Lewis one I watched last week, A Taste of Blood, where it's uh, Dracula's blood in just laced in some brandy. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that would that would do it. it but yeah, but, I guess it doesn't have to be all blood. It doesn't have to be because like it's it's just you got to get him infected and mm-hmm. like there throughout this there's all these soft focus close ups of Kiefer's pretty face just repeating Michael's name over and over again it's like Michael 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 
Michael. And, be and one like, of us, Michael. Yeah, and, and you get uh, Michael's face like superimposed over the Jim Morrison poster. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, I'm not seeing any repetition of the girl's face as she's ignored and he completely does exactly what Kiefer wants him to do. Yeah, no, she's, she's not really part of this anymore. She's... Right, and they they all get together, all the boys, they bike to the bridge for a hang. <laughs> uh, hanging out at the bridge. Uh, uh, directly hanging under the bridge. Yeah, yeah, they're they're taking turns just jumping off and it's like, "Come on, man, you're one of us." Yeah, just they they all like they like the train is passing by overhead and like they're all hanging underneath uh just by their hands and like one by one they start falling uh to what Michael's thinks like, "Oh god, we're all going to die." Like, "You guys are crazy." Yeah, and they're like even though it like after as the trains go and he can hear them like being like woohoo we're very clearly Yee! not dead <laughs> but he doesn't uh, realize he has their vampiric powers yet or some of yeah. it well no yeah no he just knows that somehow they live but also you can't really see what's underneath there from the mist nor it do we be, nor do we it might be a thousand million foot drop or it might be a freaking stunt um mattress thing to catch people yeah uh, and you know ultimately he falls and then we just cut to the next day yeah we cut uh, although it's, i like this cut because it looks like he falls and then just landed in his bed Mm-hmm. with him waking up at 2 p.m the next day yeah although uh, and i don't know if it is the next day because they kind of imply that he's been sleeping during the days it, it's a little weird yeah, this could be a cut forward in time, but th yeah. this is definitely, you know, him waking up at 2 p.m. And he's very sensitive to the light now because he's like a hungover vampire. <laughs> he's a hungover vampire. He's got to wear sunglasses. In the house I all the time. Sunglasses all day. All day. That's uh, a different Corey, too. It, that's another Corey as well. Another major Corey, yeah. Uh -huh. Uh, uh, Corey. Oh, who is it? I should know this. I should be able to pull this out of my brain, and I can't. Uh, Corey Taylor. No, it is not Corey Taylor. It's most certainly not Corey Taylor. <laughs> so not. Um, oh, is fuck. It? Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, weirdly, I'm thinking just Corey Ham, but I know this is Corey Ham, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the, um, the the mom has called and she wants Michael to babysit Sam while she goes on her date with Max, uh, which he rightly points out. It's like Sam's old enough to take care of himself. Sam <laughs> very doesn't need a babysitter. He's got to be like, I think he's meant to be 14, but he looks and feels about 16. Yeah, I think he's like 12 or 13. Because he seems like he's younger than the Frog Brothers. They they do seem a little bit older, and not because they're talking like this all the time. <laughs> I, I kind of actually got the impression that he was older than them. Oh, really? I think it's just that he seems a little bit more sophisticated of an actor than them. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, uh, you know, he... 
I, I think he's supposed to be relatively young because there's that whole thing where he's singing in the bath, which is really weird. Well, too. yes, <laughs> I forgot about that, but yeah. And he does have a bratty little brother energy a lot of the time. Uh, and so, like, Grandpa is also out that night because he has a date with the Widow Johnson. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, Michael's like, did you stuff Mr. Johnson? And, and Sam's like, that's not funny. I'm like, yeah. It kinda it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. So, like, you know, everybody's out of the house except Michael and Sam and the Lost Boys show up. Although we don't see them. They just show up and terrorize the house on their motorbikes and then vanish. Just sort of a weird scene with just like motorbikes around the house, but nothing actually happened. Yeah, nothing happens with that. I I forgot about that, actually, because nothing happened with it. It just sort of prepares us for what's to happen. And this is the scene where Sam takes a bath and Michael has these vampiric cravings all of a sudden. With okay, like, so... So yeah. Sam in the bath? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, I got something to say about this, which is absolutely me projecting but at the same time i do not want to see vampires go after their siblings ever yeah you, d- you don't do vampire suck blood shit to your family even if you hate your family or even if your family is shitty or it's not right well it's just weird. do regular yeah it's weird because vampirism is so inherently sexually coded and that's why it's yeah, so interesting that's in why this it movie. bothers me yeah, well, and he doesn't, because and 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 that's and sort of the thing yeah. in in this movie is that vampirism is coded sort of to do with sexuality in in a lot of ways, and there is sort of the this the specter of AIDS hanging over this with them as the subculture, very obvious like punk subculture on the boardwalk and all of that. Yeah, but uh, but fortunately, the dog who we haven't mentioned yet, uh, Nanook. Sam, Nanook. Nanook saves the day. Um, does the dog die.com? Spoiler alert. No. Dog does not the die. The dog does not die in this film. Neither of them. I, I just wanted dogs. to mention before that uh, Corey Haim singing along with that blues song by Clarence oh, Crawford yeah. Henry. That's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dancing <laughs> he, with like his bubble bath. Yeah. He like, you know, d- does the whole comedy movie, you know, soap and bohawk and He's yeah. singing along with all the high-pitched lady parts of the song. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's like the Home Alone thing. Actually, yeah. parts of this movie do remind me of Home Alone. Although I think this is first. This would have been first. Home Alone was, what, 89, 90? I think Home Alone is 90. Like, I saw Home Alone in theater. Oh, me I was too. very young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, like, uh, Michael bursts into the bathroom and Nanook bites him, just bites the shit out of his hand. Yeah. And it's like, and Sam's like, what did you do to my dog? It's like, your dog was protecting you from me. And, and he's like, what are you talking about, Michael? And then he sees his reflection is doing like the back to the future thing where it's sort of fading out. And, And Sam's just like, oh shit, you're actually a vampire. You're a creature of the night, Michael. You wait till mom finds out, buddy. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's straight up. He says it's like, wait till mom finds out. You're in so much trouble. Well, like he immediately like goes to his room and gets the phone. 
Yeah, he gets the phone and calls the restaurant. Well, no, first he calls the Frog Brothers, of course. Oh, yes, he calls the Frog Brothers, yes. But their advice is never very useful. They're like, well, you definitely have to stake him right now. And they offer to come do it for him. (laughs) He's like, no, he's my brother. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll do it. No! Yeah, and Feldman's like, better get a garlic t-shirt and hangs up on him. (laughs) (laughs) One liner, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and, And meanwhile, Michael starts floating. Oh yeah, right. He he. Sometimes he'll like float, but he can't stop, so he gets stuck on the ceiling. Yeah, he gets stuck on the roof, and so he has to climb out the window. And then, this is when Mom phones them from the restaurant. Oh and right, yeah. It's it's just at the moment where everything's going bonkers, and it's like I I love this moment where, uh, Sam and Michael are both on the phone on like on different extensions of the phone, but Michael is outside a window Flying outside the house yes <laughs> he's he's outside sam's window and sam thinks michael is coming to kill him but like he just can't stop flying <laughs> being like pulled up into it's the like, sky what's all the shouting everything's fine mom no it's not mom yes it is mom he's coming to kill me mom he's coming to kill me and just everyone is freaking out it's great <laughs> It's like, you brothers with your murderous thing just ruining my date with this weirdo. Right, we cut who to Who is Max. also my boss who That's really weird. wants to date me. It, it and I'm thing. really into it. The, yeah, the, that he's her boss is just a weird thing that's never really spoken about with them dating. That's oh, kind of yeah, strange. that does not get explored. Lots of other aspects of their uh, relationship do, but not this one. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we see Max in the restaurant watching her disappear across the the parking lot from his seat in the restaurant, just like watching her go to the car and take off. I'm like, huh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But of course, Michael is back there. He's actually asking Sam for help because you yeah. know he's terrified he's being pulled into the sky. This is the first time it's happened to him. Uh, but and And Sam ultimately trusts him and pulls him in the window. And then covers for him, too. Yeah, yeah. So then when the mom gets home, it's like, oh, actually, false alarm, mom. But also, can I sleep with you tonight? (laughs) Yeah, it it was just a scary comic book. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it was, a scary comic book. He's like, I don't really buy that. You're a little old for that, but okay, sure. Whatever, you're new in town. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, uh, and... We we see on the milk carton that's been spilled uh, that the the little boy and the vampire crew is the the picture on it. Oh yeah, we don't really we haven't talked about the little boy and the vampire crew because the little boy is the girl's sister or the girl's brother, like little baby brother. And if the girl is a nothing entity, this boy is nothing to the movie. I don't know if she is. I don't think they're related. I think she's just kind of taken him on. Oh. Uh, like, I, I don't think they're related at all. But, like, this is Laddie. And, yeah, he's he's as... The, the I way, keep forget <laughs> The way that uh, she is to Michael, that she's sort of like this objective that has no character, that's sort of background luggage. Uh, she is... Or the the kid Laddie is that to her? It's like yes. at this extra 
removed from anything happening. He's just like this thing to be moved around at times. Yeah, I don't think he does anything. He does a little baby vampire freak out for like 10 seconds and that's it. At one point. The problem I have with this kid mainly, and like nothing against the actor or anything like that. It's just the character or the way he's designed or the way they've dressed him. He looks like an underweight Victorian orphan who's been a (laughs) vampire for 300 years rather than a half vampire who is not yet one. Please, sir, can I have some more blood? Yeah. Yeah, like the way he's dressed, he looks like he came from Victorian England. I, he I, does. I, it's it's always so weird to me that it's like, I, you, you want it to turn out that he's the head vampire secretly. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, he's such a non-thing in the movie that I didn't even think to suspect him because I forgot he was there. I think they do a thing like that in Near Dark. There, There's a kid vampire who's one of the oldest of the group, and it really pisses him off. <laughs> like, that would be – that would be an interesting thing if they had gone that road. But Yeah. But there, there is a movie that does explore that anyways. But they all don't right. do anything with Laddie. <laughs> but nope, we see him on the milk carton here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Max – we we see him coming home to his own house and he's startled by a kite shaped with like a bat. <laughs> Which this is really funny to me. That's that's hilarious. And then he's surrounded by the Lost Boys at his house, but we don't see what happens, which of course is nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing actually would end up happening with that. Yeah. Uh, and and at the in the meantime, Michael is at their hideout, which is empty. It's only Star and Laddie, and they make out, and the song goes, "Cry, little sister." <laughs> and then they, they, yeah, they have sex, and I like it's to imagine that scene. Michael's imagining having sex with someone else, and I don't know if she's imagining anything because I don't know if she's enough of a character to imagine things. Yeah, I don't know. She's thinking about something, uh, and. and the Lost Boys show up, uh, and they're, like, snuggling, and we see that Michael's wound has completely healed from the day before. And it was pretty gnarly, so we oh, see yeah, that they was, heal yes. very fast. Yeah. Uh, and so he goes home, and he has this weird teen, moody teen conversation with his mom, where, like, she's trying to talk to him about what's going on with him. Oh, yeah, one of those, like, you can talk to me about anything. He's like, well, I can't talk to you about this more, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally, like, it's totally that. You, this, this yeah, it's, it's one of everything. Yeah. And, and Lucy goes, uh, the mom, Lucy, she, she, has, she goes with Corey, or she goes with Sam, to go drop off a bottle of wine at Max's house to apologize for breaking the date the previous night. Yeah. And, and his dog, dog attacks, Thorn. Yeah. And a dog who knows her already. It's like, she's met this dog previously. Yeah, but now the dog is attacking her. Right. And they, like, like actually attacking. Like, she has to run. And she has to climb over a fence. Yeah. 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 And it's it's trying to tear through the fence when she's on the other side of it. Yeah. And Sam recognizes this behavior. It's like, well, he's a hound of hell. He's a vampire protecting dog. He happens to be reading the uh, page in his vampire comic book that says... If you go to Max's house, Max will have a dog. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> that, that like, guards him while he sleeps with his coffin. 
Yeah, so he goes to the Frog Brothers, and they're like, we think you should kill your brother. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, hold on. All like, this I've got this other idea. <laughs> all this weird shit started happening when my mom started seeing Max, and it's like, well, really all the weird shit started happening when you came into this new town and all of these new people happened to, to enter in your life at the exact same time. But suspect Max, because yeah. he's just new suspect in town. him. Yeah, uh, he's so, new in town. Uh, Sam is like, I, I figure we need to find and kill the head vampire. And they're like, yeah. do you have any idea who that is? And he's like, well, I think it's Max. <laughs> yeah, he, he basically just, he ends up being right, but he has no reason to think he's right. No, and they do a really good job of sort of establishing some rationale for why we would agree with him. And he is right, of course, because like... Also do a good job of proving him wrong, which I love. Because, mm-hmm. like, everything about the dinner scene that comes up can be taken – is meant to be taken – like, it's meant to give you suspicion. And then it's meant to – I just really think that this is actually really well done with this guy. Yeah, I, I really like give the you suspicion it. and then take the suspicion away. And then it's like, oh, no, we actually were – it actually was this. Right. Because they, they invite him to dinner. He's invited to dinner. Uh, and when he arrives, notably, Michael yep. is on his way out. And he uh, get Max gets Michael to invite him in. It's like, well, you're the man of the house. Uh, yep. I'm not coming in this door until you invite me. You know, he's doing kind of like a, a potential stepdad kind of thing. <laughs> but he could also be doing the vampire thing. As he indeed is. But is he? Because didn't she invite him to the house? I think he needs to like be specifically invited in the door. Oh, is that how that works? Oh, I guess yeah, it could guess. be. And, and certainly, oh, it, that's how it he says how it works later. Yeah. Uh, also, notably, the grandpa is hiding the whole time. Yeah, because he doesn't want to deal with guests. I, I get him. Yeah. He, he, he just doesn't <laughs> want to deal with that. Yeah. We we see him um, peek around corners at stuff for a while. And Sam has invited the Frog Brothers to dinner as well, of course. Of course, yeah. Oh, Sam, you just want to ruin my dinner date. Oh, no, it's okay. Right, so the, their first thing is he, he offers him some Parmesan cheese for the spaghetti, but it's actually just a whole bunch of garlic. Yep, and it's like, see, you hate garlic, don't you? And it's like, oh no, I love garlic. This is just a little much, don't you think? It's like, I like garlic. <laughs> it's just a little much. He's like, just a whole ton of it on there. And then Sam throws water on him. Yeah, it's like, it burns, doesn't it? It's like, no, this is ice water. It's freezing. What's your deal? And then they flick the lights out and they like shove a mirror in his face and they turn the lights back on. He goes, whoa. <laughs> he's <laughs> oh, he's oh, looking yeah. directly into his own face. Yeah. And then there's this. And like they, they had mentioned that uh, the vampires always have really, really bad breath. And oh, yeah. So it's like they do this fake. I was like, what's this? What's that smell? Why does it no, smell the, really bad? The mom says someone here has bad breath and they all share a look, but like Nanook is standing. Is yeah. Like, like right the in the mom's like, face. Get down Nanook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. But he's, you know, they, they do the mirror thing and he's like, I know what's going on here. 
you just don't, you're just worried about me trying to replace your dad. Well, son, I'm not trying to do that. I can guarantee you. (laughs) He really does it great. He, he, he plays, he plays it off good because all this shit like could prove that this is a normal guy, but also they just did it all wrong. Um, garlic doesn't work in this universe apparently, and the water isn't holy. Right, and you know they he, he they they have the no power. Thing. They have no power over him because of him being invited. That yeah. <clears throat> they they mention that later. But oh yeah, no, they do mention that. You're yeah. right. You're right. Uh, so when Max is leaving, it's like, okay, we'll we'll try this again. I'll, I'll you come to dinner at my place tomorrow night. We'll we'll have a do-over. One of these is finally going to work. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to fuck my employee. Yeah, and Kiefer meets up with Michael, or David and Michael are, have met up, and yeah. he he tells her like, if you ever want to see Star again, come with me. And they, like, they go, I'll come with you even if I don't want to see Star again. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to see Star again for a little while in the movie. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yep. Has she been, is she supposedly kidnapped? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We we see her later and she just yeah. shows up at his house. So I think this was just bullshit, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So like they, they attack the, the surf Nazis. We, we've been seeing... Uh, graffiti saying surf Nazis in various places. And these are the guys who were stealing from the comic book store and having the fight out front. Oh, I thought those were just more vampires. No, these are surf punks. Uh, And they're, they're just like having a a party around a bonfire. And David's like, initiation's over, Michael time to join the club. And this is the first time we see them as vampires. Like we see vampire makeup. Yeah, yeah, they do the whole like they get the fangs out, they get the and contact. The Vampire Slayer must have been very heavily influenced by it. At least the TV show was. Oh, I don't, for I don't sure. know about the movie, but this like this feels more like Buffy than it, it feels a lot like Buffy. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Uh, like, like especially Buffy. the look. Yeah. Uh, so they they descend upon and massacre the surf punks. Uh, my favorite bit is David biting into the top of one guy's skull. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this bald guy, and there's just this huge spray of blood from him biting into it, like he's biting into, like, a really juicy tomato or something. <laughs> like a, yeah, or like a melon. Yeah. Uh, it is a melon. It's this guy is melon. Is. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, really funny, but Michael resists. He does not participate. Because uh, right. like, he, he can't participate or he'll be a full vampire. So he's st- yeah, he's yeah. still holding back, although he doesn't know that yet. Yeah, he just doesn't want to kill people. Right. Is, at it's least a reasonable yet. thing to not want to do. Right. But David comes in and is like, now you know what you are. You'll never grow old. You'll never die. But you must feed. <laughs> yeah. And that this is the the sequence where Sam wakes up in fright and there's a stuffed owl hanging over him. Oh yeah, so this this is great. The payoff to the gag. Yeah. Um so he goes to take this thing to the closet. I'm like, "Oh my god, please let there just be hundreds of these in the closet." And there's like and a good solid 5 or 6 that we have not seen. <laughs> yeah, he opens up the door and there's like at first he opens it up so that you can't quite see it. So yeah. you just see him putting it in, and then the camera just 
pans over and we see like eight of these things in the closet and i'm like like grandpa so this glad. has got to stop <laughs> i'm so glad yeah this is a really good gag and then michael shows up home and sam is like okay we just need to find out who the head vampire is uh obviously we, it, it's not it's it's not max as i thought but we we just yeah. need to find out and star uh, shows up yeah one would think that michael would be immediately able to figure would have at least one suspect on his mind well yeah i think he figures that it's Kiefer, but he's not going to rat him out well uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so like a star shows up outside and she confirms that she is at least part vampire because she flies up to the window oh yeah that's right she flies up because it, it's They've kind of been painting her as like a maybe hostage up until this mm-hmm. point. And this but is yeah, where she, she says that uh, Michael was going to be her first kill that first night. Or at least supposedly that's what she was told. Oh, yeah. No, this is a good gag because like Michael's like, no, she's not a vampire. And that's when she shows up in the window. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, she is. Yes, she is, Michael. Uh, and she says that she, Laddie and Michael are the half vampires because none of them have made a kill yet. Yeah. Which is important uh, to the later developments. So they, if they, they slay the head vampire, all of them can turn back to normal still. Uh-huh. Uh, and she wants his help. Uh, and Michael is suspicious, but Sam is actually the one who's into it. It's like, no, I'm going to call up the frog brothers. This is perfect. We'll, we'll do this thing. <laughs> this way I don't have to murder my brother. Exactly. Oh, you should definitely still murder your brother just in case. They're, they're kind of on that track the whole time. And like <laughs> yeah, they yeah. they steal Grandpa's car and they all drive out to the cave. <laughs> yeah, they just – Grandpa just watches them take it out and he's just like, okay. We'll fill it up with gas, Grandpa. Uh, and uh, Michael takes Laddie. Like they, they go down into the cave. Michael grabs Laddie, who's asleep, and he takes yeah. him outside to go, like, put him in the car, I guess. Uh, and Sam and the Frog Brothers start climbing through this tunnel full of flies. Yeah, they're looking for the coffins, but they can't mm-hmm. find them. Uh, because it turns out they're all sleeping upside down like bats in the cave. Yep, they're, they're like in their... They've got, like, bat feet, but otherwise they're just in their kid form, just upside down with their arms folded, sleeping in this cave. The idea being that this whole place is a coffin. Yeah. And they don't know who the leader is, so they're just going to try whoever first. And Alex Winter uh, from Bill and Ted gets it. Oh. (laughs) See, The only other guy who I recognize other than Kiefer. Here's where I think Sam should have been like, hey, Michael, you know these guys pretty good. Do any of them strike you as the leaderly type? Right, but I guess they just didn't even have him in the room. Like, he's just in another part of the cave. He's dealing with Star and Laddie instead. He's just carrying them out. Yeah, uh, oh, one of the things they say is no two vampires die the same way. That's a little bit later. Yeah. Oh, is that later? Okay. That's later on. Uh, so we we get our first vampire kill. They stake Alex Winter, and he he has glittery blood. Mm-hmm. And turns out, yeah, they only they should have maybe tried to find out because they only get one shot at this because 
his death is loud. It's extremely loud. He's screaming. There's tons and tons of glittery blood flying everywhere. Yeah. Um, it wakes up everybody, of course. Of course. And so they have to run. But uh, uh, yeah. the, these guys are full vampires, so they can't go into the light the way uh, Michael still can. Because, like, Michael just has to wear sunglasses and keep kind of, like, an, under an umbrella and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, he He's still in the Edward Cullen phase of vampires vampirism yeah uh although like i said alex winter he's glittery he's got the glittery yeah. blood he's glittery True. inside mm. it's what inside that counts uh yes uh, uh, but yeah so he, he, david has a hold of sam's ankle and he, like they get out of the cave because his hand starts on fire when it's pulled up enough into the sun it's a yeah. cool effect i like that yeah oh yeah so they take Star and Laddie, and they all hide out at Grandpa's house. Oh, yeah. So here is this where they're, like, planning their last stand? Yeah. So, like, Sam first goes to the video store to tell Mom about the vampires. But she oh, does not yeah. believe it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, okay, Mom, listen. There's vampires. Oh, my God. You really just – you just don't want me to have sex with my boss. You just I mean, don't want I, me seeing I Max. I don't want you to because that's gross, but that's also weird. there's vampires. Yeah, there are vampires, though. You don't understand. Uh, they they break they go into a church, which like there's. Uh, oh, yeah, right. They, they, they raid the church's holy water with their canteens. <laughs> yeah, they, they get canteens full of holy water. <laughs> Uh, which they must have made a few trips because they fill up a bathtub with holy water. I think it's partially holy water and maybe partially bathtub water because it's also garlic water because they well, they fill the bathtub with garlic, too. Yeah, but I want to imagine that they're making just like five trips. Well, uh, like all these people looking at them, it's like, what the hell are you? They, they bust in in the middle of a ceremony. It's like, don't mind yeah. us. <laughs> uh, I kind of feel like. It might also just be like, oh, there's those uh, Rambo kids doing their thing again. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe. Uh, and they also send Grandpa out. It's like, you, you uh, go to the Widow Johnson's. You have a date tonight. And like, do I? <laughs> oh, well then. All right. It, it's eight instead of seven. Okay, off I go. Yeah. And he, he's got like, Grandpa, of course, has his nice car, his like super nice car and his shitty old beater truck. And that's the one that can go into town. Of course. Well, sorry, it's not even a shitty old beater. It's like one of them old, one of those old classic ones. It runs. It's not a beater. It's like rusty looking, but it looks like a giant farm truck, like it's, an ancient yeah. old farm truck. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, so uh, this is when Corey Feldman warns everyone. It's like, okay, n no two vampires go out the same way. And they'll try to take you out when you're gone. <laughs> I kind of got to make it more strong, bad. It's it's definitely more, you got to do the thing. Because it's really funny, the voice he's doing. It does it, crack me up every time. It's like this weird, yeah, it's like this weird, it's like a, a kid trying to do strong, bad, trying to do Rambo. Like, he's definitely trying to do a gruff adult voice, <laughs> which is so funny. <laughs> He's like, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll try to take you out while you're while they're dying. Um, these hands are lethal weapons. You gotta be registered with the government. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you take the girl, choker? 
Also, uh, as the vampires are arriving, Sam runs out because Nanook is, for some reason, just hanging out at the end of the walk. I don't really understand what was going on there, why the dog couldn't just come to the house, but they go get the dog. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't matter because the first one comes down the chimney. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Uh, and the the Frog Brothers immediately swerve and punk out, and they decide to go after Laddie and Star instead of the, the other vampires, and then run into <laughs> another vampire who's just hiding behind a door. They really don't want to kill the right vampires. No, they just want to do the easiest thing first. <laughs> I think they're just looking for a quantity of vampire kills rather than quality. They, they definitely just want to kill all the vampires, but... You know, they're, yeah. they're clearly not good or able to do it in any way. No, no, not at all. Because, like, so the, this one menaces them backwards into the bathroom, and they splash him with a bit of the garlic holy water stuff, and it pisses him off. But it's Nanook who full-body yeah, tackles like, him. freaking <laughs> tackles him into the thing, and then he's like... Uh, oh, this is amazing. He's like melting in the bathtub and then all the taps and all the plumbing in the house does like the evil dead thing. Just spewing blood everywhere. Just every toilet, every blood. sink. The toilet explodes. It's pretty um, awesome. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I, I feel like he gets the most extravagant death of all oh, of the vampires. Oh, by far, by far. Like this is, this is straight out of evil dead. It's, it's definitely the, the too much blood thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 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 one of the other vampires grabs Sam and he like flies him up to the ceiling, but he also sprays him in the face with the holy water, water pistol and gets dropped. Uh, and he, he has the thing with the arrow, the bow and arrow. Like, Oh yeah. He, he shoots at him and it seems like he got him, but then like he stands up and he's like, you missed sucker just once. And he nails him, he goes backwards into the TV and explodes in a shower oh, yeah, spark. explodes in the TV. <laughs> or I guess it's not the TV, it must be the record. Oh, no, it can't play. be the TV. Because yeah, there isn't well, a like TV. A, yeah, right, that's the whole thing. Right, I think it it's It must playing, be like a stereo or records. It's, it's, the, it's the turntable because it's playing the In Excess song from the soundtrack. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, he explodes, sparks everywhere. Uh, and then we have David and Michael fighting finally. Oh yeah, which is just like them basically flying into each other, uh, back and forth, um, trying to impale each other on the antlers in the antler room. Well, that that isn't quite revealed yet, but oh. you know, they're they're this is where they're just sort of in the main big room, and then we cut to Sam meeting up with the Frog Brothers, and they're like, "Wow, this is going really great. We're we're doing such a good job." And they're like talking about how tough they are and how they beat that one vampire. And you know, Laddie maybe helped a little bit with it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like or not Laddie, no, no, uh, yeah, yeah. And then Laddie explodes out of the middle of a bed, screaming. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, gone, gone full vampire for for, for a second or two. Yeah, and, and Star just, like, grabs him and holds him behind her and is like, you stay away from him. And uh, I guess that's the end of those two again for a bit. Yeah, and because we cut back to the Michael and David vampire battle, and we have that, uh, we have David's like, stop fighting me, Michael. I don't want to kill you. And he's like, oh, he loves him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
you see, like, you know, he, he yes. just wants him to be one of them. Uh, you know, he, he's uh, never trying to kill Michael. No, he actually, yeah, it's true. He, David does not do anything actually mean to Michael except for, like, when they first meet. But he, the whole rest of the time, he's like, I like you and I want you to hang out with us. And yeah. you seem to think I'm a bully. Yeah, he, he, he. He's just a he overplays it, I guess. I guess. Because uh, and and then of course you know the antler room. David gets impaled on the antlers. We get one last cry, little sister. <laughs> yeah. Because you gotta. Uh, yeah. But nothing but changes. He's nothing not the head changes. vampire. <laughs> but they killed all the vampires. They're so all what's gone going except. On? Yeah, and Mom and Max drive up, and Max. Reveals it immediately. He he goes up to David and it's like, I'm sorry. David and my boys misbehaved. By the way, I'm the head vampire. I was going to do this whole thing where I was going to like make Lucy my vampire wife. And we were all going to be a big family. And it's like, you're going to make us a vampire Brady Bunch? <laughs> I yeah. Was. It's like, that was the idea. And, like, you guys really screwed up because you invited me in, which protected me before. So that didn't really work for you. It's like, oh, well, I guess that's how it goes. And then suddenly Grandpa drives (laughs) through the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I was not ready for this. (laughs) Like, I had I didn't know how it was going to end, but we did. I knew we didn't have a lot of time left. And it was whatever it was was going to be fast, but. I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> he drives through the wall. Um, in like, you know, the work truck, which has yeah, the work truck, yeah. big wooden stakes on it. And one of them goes through Max and he's rocketed backwards across the room into the fireplace. Yeah. <laughs> and of course explodes. Cause you gotta, you gotta explode. Great big explosion. And then finally, uh, Michael turns back to normal, and I guess Star and the kid also do, but cares about them. Yeah, and Grandpa gets the final line. <laughs> he goes about... into the fridge. He pulls out a <laughs> pulls out a beer, and he's like, "One thing I hate about Santa Carla: all the vampires." Yeah, one thing about living in Santa Carla I could never stomach: all the damn vampires. Uh, and then you know, people are strange. Starts playing again. <laughs> Echo and the Bunnymen cut. Uh, cut to credits. <laughs> Pretty great. It's a lot of fun. Oh, it's so good. Like, I, I really thought this was going to be just a gay vampire thriller. Yeah, it, it's it's much more of a popcorn movie. Like, it's very it, hidden. It's a roller. Yeah, it's it's all over the place. Yeah, it's very silly. Like, it is kind of a kiddie movie. Like, it has that '80s thing where it's just like. It's it's Kids totally made for mass consumption. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, we got both the Corys, the, the chief Corys. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's very neon. I love the music. Like, the soundtrack is an all-timer. I listen to the soundtrack mm-hmm. a lot. I knew the soundtrack before I knew the movie. Yeah, it's, it is a good soundtrack, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I really liked this movie. It's a lot of fun. It's a pretty good time. It, it's silly, but, like, it, it's still has a has a good twist indeed so any last thoughts on uh the lost boys before we move to our second part 
Oh, we talked about it in the chat, but we didn't talk hmm. about it in the thing. This is basically, or at least uh, Michael's part of the story is basically Peter Pan with vampires. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Like, it's the whole thing, like, hey, I mean, just let go and you can fly. And you they can are. Fly, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly. And he's Rufio. Um, well, and they uh, are the Lost Boys. Like, they are the, I mean, the, the Lost, Lost Boys. Boys. Yeah, yes. yeah. So you can't. That is the, the Peter Pan thing, yeah. Yeah. So I was actually looking more for, like, a Captain Hook allegory rather than a Van Helsing. Mm. And I didn't find one. Yeah, no, there really isn't a Captain Hook in this at all. No. Uh, n- there aren't father figures at all. There is no father figure. Yeah, no, there isn't. The, the grandpa <laughs> and Max are not. The grandpa's just kind of does his own thing, and Max is evil. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really fun movie. I do think it's probably Joel Schumacher's best. It's a lot of fun, and just in terms of '80s vampire movies, it's one of the top ones. Although probably Near Dark is better. Uh, but yeah, both pretty cool. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. It's a I good think time. it's great. All right. Well, on to part two. And we're back for our second feature. We're talking about the 1984 adaptation of Stephen King's Firestarter, directed by Mark L. Lester. Uh, there's currently a new version in theaters right now. Oh, really? Yeah, I have not seen it, of course. I hear it's okay which is kind of like this movie which is uh okay it's got it's okay it's it has its ups and downs there there are things about it that rule there's things about it that rule but my my opinion of the movie and i'm just gonna get this out there right up top it every single scene and the movie itself is probably about 30 to 50 percent longer than it needs to be yeah, it's got that TV editing. It feels like a made-for-TV movie at times with that kind it of... It really does. It, it's logy. And th- this is one of those movies uh, that Carpenter was attached to. I think this was it was either this or Christine that he was going to do, and he ended up doing Christine. I kind of wish he'd done Firestarter. I would love to see a Carpenter take on this. It would be a lot less sanitized, I think. Yeah, and there is some carpentry elements to it. I mean, the soundtrack uh, by, I think it's Vangelis who who just uh, died this or week. Or was it? Oh shit, shoot, was it? I, I isn't it? A, no, no. I, uh, I ta- hmm, I'm thinking it Tangerine Dream, it, but I could. You're be right. No, a it is a Tangerine Dream score. You're right. You're right. Okay. Uh, and Tangerine Dream, uh, who uh, Klaus Schulze was a member of, who died a couple weeks ago, although. I think he was not a member of the band by this point. Mm. Not sure. <laughs> but it's a really cool score. I like it a lot. I actually uh, have a copy of this score. There's a reissue of it. Just the, It's been out of print for 30 years, and it's just oh, wow. coming out uh, in a couple weeks. I've got a pre-order for it, and it's a pretty kick-ass score. And Carpentry, uh, specifically. like it, it has that synth horror... Uh, very synth-driven horror vibe. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I don't. I don't actually remember much specific about the score. Just that I was vibing with it while it was going. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. It's salt stuff. So uh, yeah. So the the stat the cast is pretty stacked actually. Lots of names I recognize. Um, mm-hmm. We have a young Martin Sheen uh, before he became the 
iconic president. Although he's playing kind of a similar feeling character in a weird sort of oh, way. Oh, he he's, absolutely reminds me of like I don't it's know. It's on a timeline of Martin yeah. Sheen political characters. Yeah, yeah. Like I've never seen an episode of The West Wing and still like when I see Martin Sheen, I think he's the president, even though I don't know what his character's name is. And here, it just feels like this is just something he did in his career before he became the president. And the his base even looks like, like a little mini White House. Yeah, I think there was a movie just before this that was part of the Omen series, where he plays almost exactly the same character, which oh, is funny. Really? This is a Stephen King character, of course. This is... You know, adapted from the book. And I've read the book, and my recollection is this stays pretty close to it for the most part. Okay. Um, also, a very young, probably like not, can't even be 10 years old, uh, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I think she's maybe nine at the time she's making this, and the character I think is supposed to be eight. Yeah, the character I think is meant to be eight. Yeah. And she's very good. She is good. Uh, she like she's a good kid actor, uh, not like you know tremendous or anything, but like she she does the job. Uh, she yeah, she, she sells the anger very well. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. Um, yeah. So we start, and of course George with... C. Scott as Rainbird, <laughs> which we'll get to later. But oof, there's a lot to say about that character. All they had to do was just name him something else. Yeah, that's really all they needed that's to do. That's all they could have done. All and, they needed to do to fix it. And if they'd done that, maybe they could have just not tinted his skin the way they did. But we'll get to it. We'll get yeah, to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. yeah, so we start in the middle of a chase where um, our guy, who we're later going to learn is Andy, is carrying – Yeah, David Keith. Not to be confused with Keith David. No, uh, I, I would not expect Keith David to be related to Drew Barrymore. I would not either. Huh. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this guy actually kind of reminds me, for, I don't know what it is, I feel like like he kind of, something about his face and the way he acts, especially when he's like being stoned and goofy, kind of reminds me of Chris Pratt. Oh, okay. And this that. feels like a role that in a different decade could have gone to Chris Pratt. So yeah, I don't think he would have done it. Like I, don't I wonder, think he would have done a good job. Yeah, I'm mixed on Chris Pratt. I I, yeah. I feel like th- this guy's a very serious character, uh, it, despite the being exposed to MK Ultra and getting stoned and stuff. He which he happens. looks he is a serious character, but he always looks a little goofy. Yeah, just he, because of all the shit that happens to be happening to him. I think part of it's the hair, and yeah. part of it is. The chief flaw of this character, and maybe it's just the way they do the movie, is that, like, he can't use his superpower unless he touches his head. (laughs) Yes. Like, he he seems to always have to, like, reach up and physically touch his head to make it happen. And I feel like that's one of the things that adds too much time to this movie. Like, if he... Oh, yeah, because you have to have him just doing the face and doing... head touching very intently or even if he like yeah it it would be so much more effective and so much more uh impressive in terms of showing his power if we we saw just like his nose start to bleed and that's how we realize that he's 
pushing someone. Can't we just know he's psychic? Well, like that, that would be it would be so much more chilling because we know he's lying. We know he's pushing the guy and we know he's breaking his mind yeah. uh, to fit the the pattern he wants it to. Uh, I don't think they get into it in the movie, but it's it's uh, detailed heavily really. in the book. It, when he pushes someone, it kind of breaks their brain. And it can if like it if he pushes someone in too far out of what they're used to it can just like send their brain in a spiral and they just never come out of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's not explored at all. We only really see uh, the effects that his pushing power has on himself. Basically. Um, They describe it as like little pinpricks in his brain every time he uses it. So like you use it too much, you, your brain will just melt out of your nose. It's one of those, one of those psychic powers. Right. Uh, yeah. a, a dangerous and unwieldy one that was created by bad government science. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, he's – we're seeing him uh, cha- carrying uh, Charlie, um, Drew Barrymore's character, his daughter, uh, away from these uh, agents. But they're like TV movie agents. These aren't uh, your friggin' – your X-Files agents. They're no-name. Yeah, they're – Generic, off-brand. Yeah. And like these are the agents who will be like, uh, they'll have like a flat tire when they're supposed to be on their big chase. In fact, that even happens to one of them. Yes. Yeah. So um, this is the first time. Well, this is the first time anything happens because it's the first scene of the movie. But the guy, um, Andy, takes uh, Drew Barrymore into this taxi and is all like, hey, take me to the airport. And the cab is like, I don't go to the airport. That's too far. And so here's where we see his demonstration of his power, where he puts his hand on his head and makes a really intense face. So dramatic. And he has to make like, he's just got to scrunch up his face and do this whole thing. And it's like, I'll give you a $500 bill. (laughs) Which, okay, so $500 bills, that's not a thing, is it? I think they do exist, but they're pretty uncommon and... Honestly, if a cabbie was if someone handed a cabbie a five hundred dollar bill in that oh. era or this era, I don't think they'd take it because they'd be like, "You are a scammer, dude! Come on!" Oh yeah, no. somebody's just like, "Here, here's five hundred dollars in one bill." I'm like, "Oh, much pass <laughs> the much more I'll real." Take my chances. No, I totally agree. The much more realistic option would have been if he had like handed him five ones and said here are five hundred dollar bills that i could buy because people used to From carry around then, yes. money in the 80s yes. that <laughs> like now today, that would still then, be yes. pretty suspect yeah but yeah so so that's his thing he handed him a one dollar bill and made him think it's a five hundred dollar bill he's like i'll drive to hell for five hundred dollars mm-hmm i'll climb all the way up to heaven and ring the bell for five hundred dollars yeah, yeah. Or that was last week's movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Safety right. last. Uh, that, that's yeah. what the guy says when he's oh, not yeah. about to climb the building. <laughs> it's the exact same amount. Oh shit. Uh, so we, as they're driving to the airport, we flash back to this. Uh, it just looks like a weird, like some random, harmless-ish uh, medical experiment. 
It's like, oh, we're going to be experimenting with psychedelic drugs. Half of you are going to have the psych drugs. Half of you are going to have water. You won't know who's got who, and neither will we, because this is how science works. It's a double-blind test. Uh, it's it's MKUltra. It is. <laughs> This is 100% MK Ultra, yeah. It is absolutely MK Ultra. So uh, yeah, we we've got our main guy and our main girl, uh, Heather Locklear. She is apparently. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, Young Heather Locklear. Yep. They are in this test. He tries to hit on her by basically being like, hey, "I'm broke too. That's why I'm here." <laughs> yeah, it's like wow, stellar dude. <laughs> You're it's attracted really... to me by me saying that I'm broke and I'm. So why she goes for this guy even after all this is beyond well, me. Because they have this beautiful psychedelic experience together that just well, like nobody oh, yeah, else no, gets right, to have. Because they get to be, because they do the telepathic whole communication thing. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Their, their uh, minds vibe together somehow because, like, everybody else gets really badly fucked up. Yeah, even though apparently only half of them had the drug. Yeah, question mark. Question I think, mark. Yeah, I, I feel like it is just a thing where they dosed all of them and then waited to see what would happen. Yeah, yeah. That seems so, like the sort of shadiness that the government would do in this, and is also the sort of shadiness that the government did, in fact, do in MK Ultra. So, oh, yes. you know, I yeah. buy. Although I think MK Ultra never got to human trials; it was always done on people within the CIA or within the government, for the most part, right? They were they were testing it on their own people mostly. Oh, oh, yeah, they their own people, but like without their knowledge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't I don't remember if they well I don't know. It's not that information about MK Ultra lot. is that reliable. <laughs> you gotta you gotta really dig. Mm-hmm. Um but so yeah, we we go back to uh the present where he gets where they get to the airport and the kids all like, It's not right to steal and the dad's like, yo, we're being chased by scary ass government agents. Let's just steal – like we can steal a little bit of money so that they can get off our back. He's he's spent too much time teaching her how to uh, use flame powers and not enough teaching her uh, the sliding scale of morality. And that, yeah. <laughs> sometimes rules need to be broken in order for uh, people to survive, mm-hmm. such as us, lady. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um so he goes and uh, psychics a bunch of quarters out of a payphone, um, doing the whole thing. And here's while he's doing this, uh, Drew Barrymore is looking at this this couple that's arguing, and like we can listen to the, like the lady's pregnant and the guy is. Oh, the like, dude is such a dick. Oh, <laughs> the dude reminded me. So he's basically saying like. I'm not the only one you slept with. I'm not responsible. I can't look after the baby. I'm not the only one you slept with. I know I can make the baby, but can I raise the baby? I'm not arguing with that with you. <laughs> but yeah, like it just goes on and on and he's just being so mean to her. Oh, he's, he's being like, mean. Yes. Like, cause like it, it, he's in a, he's in a soldier's uniform. So it looks like yeah. he's shipping out somewhere. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
Yeah, I don't know when it's. And she's pregnant and. Yeah. He's just like, no, I'm not fucking doing the baby thing. Yeah. It's not mine. I'm not responsible. All that shit. And Drew Barrymore is just like, this guy's a dick. And so she, she recognizes on fire. It's great. It's pretty um, funny. And the, I, I think it is great, but they play it a little bit too immediately comedic. Yes. I mean, it is pretty. It, well, yeah, he has to go uh, put his feet out in the ladies' room toilet. Womp, 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 womp. Womp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it has that sort of feeling. It's like I kind of would have rather that like he got badly burned and <laughs> just had like run outside and like I don't know roll or whatever. Uh, yeah. That would have been a little bit more like oh yeah, that's kind of chilling. Her her power is very dangerous. Yeah, because this doesn't really uh, get across the point that they're trying to make through the whole film that she can't control the power. Here, it looks like she very controls the power. I mean, that seemed extremely well controlled. And and the thing is, as well, they've made him so deeply odious in the little bit of time we've encountered him that we kind of do want him to get a little bit hurt by this, not just have to put his shoes in the toilet. Yeah, yeah. Um... (laughs) Yeah, and so she's like, "Oh my God, I did it! I'm so sorry." And it's like, "No, no, no! Uh, it's good. You, you controlled it this time. You only got his feet, not like I did with mommy." So yeah, so she's got some actual trauma, and I might have started with that instead of this guy. Yeah, maybe because like um, I don't know, and and it's that's also not really accurate. I mean, there was that time. Is this where we flash back to the oven mitts? Um, I don't know if it's... No, it isn't, because... That is later, uh, still. The the oven mitt thing is later, because I thought that we were finally seeing the thing that they're hinting at here. They are hinting, of course, and they never show this in the movie, but they're hinting that she lost control of her power and killed the mother. Except she didn't, because we saw the mother dead upstairs later in that other scene, so I don't really know where that comes from. Right, because yeah. there's there's the scene where like the, it's the the agents, the agents come the in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We know yeah. the agents do because like that's when he does the thing to he the finds, agents. So yeah, he, and he finds like the sock in her mouth and is like this exactly. Is not a so, which is why does she think it's her? Exactly. I why that it's a very strange tell- line there that she's like because like I killed and, mommy and like she didn't. I'm sure she didn't. One thing <laughs> is yes, she didn't kill the mother too. He should tell her, like, no, you actually had nothing to do with the thing's death. And three, this uh, people are going to disagree with me on this, and it might be a little morally gray, but he could just be like, you didn't actually kill your mom. This, you know, then, like, because she didn't, he could, it's not really like he's, like, mind controlling her to make her think something that's not true. Right. But like also he he could even just say, no, you didn't because she yeah. didn't. Yeah. He could just say like, hey, you know, those guys who are chasing us have have been chasing us your whole life. That's who killed mom. Yeah. Those are the guys who killed mom. Remember how I got them for it? Yeah. But yeah. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very so, strange line. I feel like it's just a fake out that they forgot to write out of the script. It feels like, you know, <laughs> and this is the go to commercial line. It feels see, very TV movie structured. What they should have done is like 
showed her like well to make it really work all they had to do was take off the oven mitts and that would have made the whole scene work so much better and yeah yeah although i i guess the point was then that she never actually really hurt her even uh yeah i guess but But you know sometimes she just gets angry they don't they don't absolve her of hurting of not killing the mom either like they never she never learns that she didn't do this yeah i don't even know where she gets it like i don't know it's weird i don't know maybe it's she she feels she's guilty because they were going after her uh and you know her i don't know i don't know either she's a kid she's a little kid yeah but the dad could have done more to make her think that it wasn't. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's not great parenting, but, like, he he is under stress. We we must give well, him that. Well, yes. I mean, yeah. Okay. True. Fair. Um, yeah, so they're, they're walking down the highway from the airport, and the agents catch up. So uh, they, they jump down, like, over the side and land on a different highway, and he almost gets ran over by a truck, and now the agents don't catch up then like the truck coming at them uh i think she shoots fire at it uh no they they no they just uh get up in time yeah i mean that guy is just not obviously not gonna break screw these people in the road (laughs) yeah 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 so so somehow they lost the agents and get to a hotel at, at this point i guess um, oh yeah, okay. So here's where she we have the flashback where it's like I burned, uh, I burned mother. Right. <laughs> I burned uh, mother. <laughs> yeah, because they they're like practicing with her uh, lighting toast on fire. Um, they're kind of overstrict with it, and like I get it because that's really dangerous to have in the house. Yeah. But like, it just seems like such a weird mundane sequence to have in there that like here is just one of many random times that she burnt toast in the living room with her mind she by command burnt Maybe toast we... too much got stressed out and burnt the mother's oven mitts um the mother took off the oven mitts and was fine and this is what drew barrymore is super guilty with about and that she's carrying with her for the rest of her life I mean, to be fair, this is the sort of thing that as a really little kid would probably be very traumatic and kind of stick in the mind despite not being a big deal. I guess. But, but like, what happens I, immediately after this in the I flashback mean, even? I, I agree. The problem is that it's it's sort of a weird low stakesy sequence in that regard that it's like maybe it could have just been uh, – Maybe maybe we could have like seen her learn, seen them react to learning her having the powers and how that manifested. Because I kind of want to yeah. see how that happened. Yeah, how do they find that out? Because like, why do they need to train we, her now? Because we skip from them getting the injection to her being eight years old, and them training her and with fire her, powers. Yeah. It's like, is this the X Men? Well, anyway. <laughs> it's implied, but we never see it that like they do this so that the power doesn't go out of control. But yeah, how did they learn that the power goes out of control? Yeah, and then did the baby? Did they have like a thing from the Incredibles where the baby just went 
ape shit. I mean, I have to assume something happened that they're like, okay, we've got to teach her how to control this. And who knows how long that's been going on. But I would like to know. (laughs) That seems like something that would be interesting. Well, it's more interesting than what actually happens. Yes. So, yeah, um, the dad gets home one day, uh, finds a bunch of blood on the floor, and I'm, like, expecting – because they've been – they built it up already. I'm expecting to him to find the charred corpse of the mother. Mm-hmm. But nope. Uh, we find her hanging in the closet uh, attached to an ironing board with, like, a sock in her mouth, and these agents killed her. Mm-hmm. Just like a couple of randos. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just had let's... nothing to do. And so she's sort of out of the film. Uh, and it, it, it is sort of weird that we had this setup that, you know, that Charlie had something to do with it. But then immediately was like, well, obviously she had nothing to do with it. And like Charlie <sighs> is away at a friend's house at the time. Yeah, this this whole thing doesn't work. Yeah, it's weird. I just don't really know what they were trying to set up or why they they set it that way. Like like I said, it mostly feels like, oh, well, this is the scene we go to commercial on. <laughs> kind of, yeah, actually. <laughs> and then it's a fake out. And it's like, no, you didn't kill your mommy. You didn't even hurt your mommy that one time, remember? Yeah. And she's just like mixing it up in her mind because she's a small child. Well, yeah, but but they don't make it clear that that's what's happening. No, because they got to fake it out to the audience because it's like a TV movie. <laughs> but like we're still in like the opening 20 minutes. It's weird because I do feel like the first 45 minutes or so are mostly pretty great, even though there there are things like this and they do kind of go on. It's just. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love all the on the run stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's the middle section when they get captured. That's just like this is boring. Yeah. So they get. Uh, they're cornered by these two agents. Right. Um, oh, no, this is still in the flashback, I think. Yes, this uh, is still in the flashback. He's getting away from the agents, and he does his psychic thing. He's like, you guys are blind. And then they're just, like, screaming, like, oh, my God, I can't see. Oh, But they're, like, I guess he also, like, hurt their eyes. They're just, Or maybe they're just really, really upset that they can't see. Well, that, that's the way the, the push thing works, uh, is that, like, he just makes them permanently blind uh, by, like, breaking that part of their mind. So I, I think it's traumatic. <laughs> okay. to, but, yeah, they, their their reactions are big. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit huge. Uh, if, if they're supposed to have been trained, like, super agents or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, he, he's like, you, you're blind. Ah, like you you killed my wife you're blind too you bastard (laughs) it's fun so uh now finally we see our bad guys the shop the shop which is weapon x it's absolutely weapon x they are creating the x-men yeah deciding what they want to do with the x-men they're they're trying to build a wolverine you know Mm -hmm. And uh, we have Martin Sheen who bikes to work. Of course. Yeah. He's like a tech billionaire. Of course. Um, we, so we have our three bad guys. We've got uh, Martin Sheen. As Mr. As, Sinister. Yep. As, I don't know. I don't know his name. Uh, we have Rainbird. Oh, <laughs> uh, George C. Scott as Rainbird. 
what a character. Like, do we want to get into a bit of this right now? Because, like, this We're is... We're going to have to sooner or later. Let's, let's okay. do it. So, okay, his name is Rainbird. What do you expect his race is going to be based on that name? Uh, yeah, he is he is part he's meant native. to be native. I think he's supposed to be fully native because they do dye him a little bit, which is he very has, unfortunate like, as well. Sometimes, like native ponchos. Yes, uh, uh, or, or and like, he's got weird mystical beliefs of how he's going to take the powers of people with him oh, to yeah, his he's... to the other world. <laughs> which yeah. are i don't know they're oh. strange george c scott is doing a heck of a lot i mean like it wouldn't be a problem if he just were not called rainford maybe. just call him john john the dude it's like oh I mean, yeah no john's our cleaner guy i mean honestly it's the the, the character is rainbird in the original book they should have cast a native actor if you were going to yeah, First if you were Nations use a character actor, called whatever, native, or uh, but, uh, sorry, called Rainbird. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. George C. Scott. I mean, it's it's a whole lot that he's doing, and he's like, have you ever seen Hardcore? Probably his iconic uh, uh, George C. Scott scenery chewing performance. No, I don't think so. It's it's this uh, movie where I have where... seen Football in the Groin though. Oh yeah, ah, uh, my groin. In in hardcore, uh, he plays this conservative guy whose daughter has run away to the big city, and he finds out she's uh, ended up in the porno business. And there's just the legendary scene where someone is uh, uh, projecting a reel of her pornography, and he's watching it and doing all the reactions, and he's like, "Turn it off! Turn it off!" <laughs> very very classic it's always what i think of every time i see george c scott pop up pop up into a movie mm. so it's a weird fit for him being the mystical native american hitman yeah who is kind of a pedophile maybe there's some maybe. things he says that are troubling yeah he definitely doesn't have a healthy relationship with the little girl well, there is that part where they ask, what do you want her for? <laughs> He's like, because she's young and beautiful. Uh, and yeah, there's there's a lot yeah. of a lot of things. Uh, yeah. And but we'll get there on those parts. But yeah, uh, it's a whole lot of performance and it's very troubling. Uh, but I mean he's going for it he, oh he's doing it he, he's he's giving it his all like i can't say i'm comfortable with the performance entirely but i am captivated by it yeah uh yeah so we've got and we've got the professor from the uh testing scene earlier mm-hmm. and explaining about the psychic power to these people to us telling <laughs> us about the psychic power and it's like Oh, and it's like, well, she can only just start some fires. What's the problem with that? I mean, it's bad, but it's not like Armageddon. This guy, I mean, this guy is so goddamn over the top. Like, oh, it, he's so over the top. His, he's like, his performance is like from a different movie, just teleporting <laughs> in. Like he's in a Carry On movie. He's doing like a slapstick performance, and like, no, no, she could crack the entire world in half. <laughs> And like yeah. you'd never know what'll happen easy. once puberty rears right. its ugly head. 
Right. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of that in this too. Then it's like, oh, budding woman, dangerous. Yeah, but but he's he wants to destroy the mutants. Yes. Uh, Martin Sheen wants to use them for government stuff. Uh, Rainbird doesn't really say anything in this scene. He just wants he's them. Just yeah, he, he we don't really know what he wants or even really what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, we just see like, oh, why is George C. Scott a Native American? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. So we cut back to Andy and Drew uh, hitchhiking, and they find this truck with the nicest old conservative dude you'll ever meet. Oh uh, yeah, just like a classic Midwesterner. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, well, I can take you partway there, but why don't you stop at my place for dinner first? Oh, well, we couldn't do that because we're running from the government. I want dinner, Daddy. Okay. Yeah, uh, Art Carney, this guy, just he's he's really lovely in this movie. Uh, mm. You know, Art Carney, legend, you know, he, he was on The Honeymooners. He's the inspiration for Barney Rubble. <laughs> oh, I didn't I mean, know like, that. You know, he's he's a legend. Uh, and yeah, he's he's really fun in this. I love how immediately he's like, well, screw the government. <laughs> oh yeah, he's uh, so so they they tell him they they tell him like this fake story, but he see he sees through it pretty quickly uh, because yeah because when they get when they're having dinner, it's like I ate so much my my stomach will split. That's what my mom used to say. I mean, <laughs> still does say because she's definitely not dead. Right. They they said that uh, they were driving to meet her where she's just had their little brother. Yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah, the, uh, the wife takes uh, Drew Barrymore out and uh, and the old man's like, eh, OK, what's going on? Well, you know, telepathic stuff running from the government MK Ultra, yada, yada, yada. They're going to kill us. Um, you'll probably be a target because you're harboring us. You know, that whole thing. Well, like, well, I think you're full of shit. He's like, I don't believe that, but and we'll, then we'll like see what's going 20 on. 20 fucking like, government agents roll up in their cars, and the guy's immediately like, I don't think you're full of shit anymore. Well, like, Drew Barrymore is able to see them coming. Oh, yeah, she sees them coming, uh, and she's the one who warns them. Yeah, that's right. Which is weird, because she never does again. And there's sometimes uh, it would have been useful. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell if she has telepathic power or not, because here it seems like she does, because she's saying, like, hey, there's people coming here and their intent is to kill us. Yeah, and I guess this is the only time. Maybe it's because it's the intent to kill. Maybe that was the Maybe. thing. That Maybe. could be it, because it's 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 so long since I read the book. I read the book in maybe the late 90s. So, uh, But yeah, I that might be it that she knows they're coming to kill them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the agents roll up and they're all like, Hey, surrender, leave the little girl. Uh, we'll let you live. And Drew Barry's more like, no, you won't. You'll kill us. And the guy comes out is like, Hey, I need to see a warrant. He's like, you don't need to see a warrant. We're special agents. He's like, unless I woke <laughs> up in Russia, I need to see a warrant. Oh, it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, you I know woke what? up in Russia this morning. I need to see a warrant. Why can't actual conservatives be kind of like this guy? It was pretty fun. Uh, and 
he's got a shotgun. He's like, yeah. Oh yes. Get that, off of my land, revenueers. <laughs> he's absolutely yes. He he literally does get off my land. It's great. Um. So the government's like, the government. Nobody tells us what to do. And they shoot. Of course, they open. The government shoots first. Um, Drew Barrymore doesn't like this, and she <laughs> fucking lights the. Sh- she this lights scene. them up. What a great scene! Like just uh, every every moment of her just like lighting dudes on fire, exploding cars. Uh, it's it's delicious and delightful. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> so. So like yeah, she, she first she like lights up the guy who shot the gun, um, and like she lights up a bunch of them. People start running away to their cars, and then she just blows up the cars. Uh, and basically nobody's alive at the end of this. She's just like incinerating people all over the place. And like, and then well, she's like. I didn't mean to, Daddy. I didn't mean to. <laughs> it's like, it's okay, honey. We needed you to do it this time. Sometimes things need to be done that aren't good, but yeah, uh, we for can, the uh, good purpose. We, we can deal with the psychological weight of killing 20 people at eight years old uh, later. 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 Yeah. So um, the old man gives them his Jeep. I was like, yeah, you can just take the Jeep. I'm pissed off at these government guys i just want you to win yeah and the wife's like hey that's our that's our only vehicle what are you doing it's like well the government though (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. he's like okay Um, and they get to this uh house on a lake that's on stilts and i gotta assume this is in maine but i don't actually know uh i don't recall probably maine Actually, I don't know if maybe the shop is in Maine. Uh, the shop's probably in Maine. It, it's weird. Maine is not as heavily featured in this one as in it's most. Never uh, men- it's never mentioned by name, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. By Maine. So he's like, so he's like, oh, we're going to have a lot of cleaning up to do. This house has been abandoned ever since uh, Grandpa died cut to the inside of the house it looks like so cozy and nice and looks nice. perfectly spotless this is no evil dead man evil dead shack well and it's it's just a beautiful and environment it, just, it looks it so looks, nice on that lake it, but i don't believe that that interior and that exterior match no no not at all but it, that is it is a really nice place and i want to go there and just be there like, it, it looks like a real chill place to go and unwind or to hide out from the government. Yep. Um, uh, meanwhile, Rainbird assassinates the doctor, I think. But Yeah, he, he does his thing where he, like, karate chops him in the bridge of the nose, sending oh, bone ah! fragments into his brain. Right. It's his favorite oh. move. He talks about it a lot. Yeah, but he doesn't. He doesn't talk about it until later, so I didn't recognize right. that's what yeah, he was yeah. doing here. <laughs> he oh. was demonstrating it to talk about it again later, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The um, the very dramatic professor who's like, she could crack the world in half with her puberty. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, they'll replace him with another dramatic professor. You gotta have they one. They got another one up in line. Yeah. Uh, so, so Andy's plan is to write letters to the times. 
<laughs> gonna gonna contact the New York Times and they'll save us. And that'll just you can tell this was made in the eighties. <laughs> the New York Times will save us. Oh wow. man! It, uh, the best part is the closing shot of the movie is them going into the I New know, York I Times know. building, Ooh. and it's like I just want them to run the camera for five minutes longer so that she can be like, "Okay, there's a government conspiracy where they're turning people into fl- human flamethrowers and mutants, and they're trying to stop the X Men." Yeah, let me just write this down on my invisible typewriter. Well, like the New York Times ending, and I know we're getting ahead of it, but anyway, it, it's like it, it's not for this movie. The the New York Times <laughs> ending is for a newspaper movie or a movie about like government corruption. This is a movie about someone who makes fires with her mind. Uh, you could do, I mean, you could have ended on one of. There's some explosions that happen at the end of this movie. I'm not going to get too ahead of things, but there are a bunch of explosions. It could have ended on some of them explosions would have been okay. It should have ended with just like the it, whole it place yeah. going up in fire and her. Because it did and it ruled. Fireball. Yeah. But then they just added another scene so that she could then let's expose go to the, New York the corruption of it's like everybody. all the people she exploded. Come on. <laughs> But yeah, so so this is his great plan to make the government ease off of them, right. um, expose their things with the times because the times will definitely run this and that'll be the end of it. Oh yeah, for sure. Question mark, question mark, question mark, profit. Profit, yeah. And who should show up but Rainbird? Yep. So uh, Rainbird, here's where he's explaining to Martin Sheen that after the the. Uh, after Martin Sheen's done doing all his X-Men tests, he's like, I want to take the girl for myself. What for? I'm not going to tell you yet. I just want you to know that it's creepy. Yeah, and the, the, it is where here where I think he does say, because she's young, because she's, she's young. beautiful. And she's something like deadly, something, something about the power. He does mention it, but he doesn't go into the detail of what he wants to do yet. Yeah, because he wants to... Uh, take her power with him into the afterlife and be consumed by it while dying. It's it's a whole weird fantasy he's concocted around well, dying by her hand while killing her. I have a theory about it, but it's not clear. It's it's um, weird. Yeah. So <laughs> so the the New York Times plan is well underway. Oh yes, yeah. the dad is. Got that uh, locked going, up. Yeah, he's putting the mail into the mailbox, and the post office guy is like taking the mail. But these two old people are looking through the window like busybodies they are, and they inform the government. Oh, no. So government fucking kills the mailman. <laughs> takes <laughs> the mail. It's like, man, you could have let those letters go, they would have done nothing. Oh, right. That, that I forgot about that totally excessive scene of them murdering the mailman. They that was hilarious. The mailman and take the mail. It's like, what the? Why even bother? Because the New York Times would have saved him otherwise. Oh, right. right you got right. you got to close that off just in case. Just in case. Yeah. But, you know, um, they don't matter because Rainbird's got his squad. Uh, he has tracked them to their exact location on the lake. 
and is ready with his pistol sniping at them from the trees. He's got his trank dart and he shoots Drew Barrymore right in the throat uh, with a tranquilizer dart. Mm-hmm. And the dad uh, gets really freaked out and covers her. Does not attempt to move her out out of the uh, dangerous open place where they all are. And he gets shot too. Oh yeah, of course. And the uh, tinfoil spacesuit people come out of the woods to take them away. Right. And this is where the movie... I do feel starts to really slow down. Oh, this part, like, unless you really want to get into it, I'm going to breeze through this. That's totally fine. Yeah. Cause like, it's very repetitive. We have a lot of her going through these tests after there, there is important all of the stuff grooming. that happens, but there's also a lot of stuff that happens twice or three times. It's mostly stuff happening a bunch of times. Like, like I said, there's the grooming, there's the yeah. tests. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, so we'll, we'll go over each of those elements. <laughs> yeah, let's like, okay, so this, so, so they wake up in like the super nice uh, shop facility that looks like uh, a mini White House. It kind of looks like uh, a health spa. Kind of, um, but, you know. Like the, the health curtain. spa. Like the health spa that uh, James Bond is at at the beginning of, oh, which one is it? Goldfinger? I'm not sure. I don't remember. One of the early Sean Connery ones has him at a health spa at the beginning. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Like, so all the, all the, when there's no actual windows, there's just curtains covering windows that are all boarded up with like steel plates. Yeah. But at the same time, like they're cells, like they're obviously prisoners, but this is such nice. I wouldn't mind being a prisoner here if it weren't for all the experiments. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, in terms of the experiments, uh, Drew Barrymore, like they're not hard experiments for her. They're they're not hurting fun. They're dangerous for everyone else. Yeah, yeah, they're not hurting her. So, okay, so here's what's going on, Um, because everybody's. Everybody's got this doing a thing. Uh, Martin Sheen and the new doctor uh, want to see how par- powerful her fire experiments can get and how to control them. Uh, the dad is constantly being drugged um, and they're testing his powers. And basically, I, th- I think they're trying to like subdue his power. Yeah, I think they're they're seeing if they can make it. Uh, if they're, they can nullify it with the medication they're giving him, and he's secretly not taking the medication and yeah. secretly uh, not like secretly intentionally failing uh, when they're testing him to like keep them off the trail of where he's at with it. Yeah, yeah, um, yes. So that's what they're that's what they're doing with him. Uh, Rainbird is posing as house as a housekeeper named John uh, to get close to the girl to um, convince her to go along with these experiments and basically the good cop to Martin Sheen's bad cop. It's really gross. Uh, he's, it, he's, it is gross. He's posing as the janitor and he's doing kind of this childlike bit and yeah, it's it's grooming. There, there's there's. <laughs> It's it's no no quote unquote. It is grooming, and he's just kind of hanging out with her and making her uh, his confidant and like talking her into uh, little allowances and things. And, and so he's the one who gets her to do the tests. 
yeah, so first test, she blows up sh- some wood chips. She's like, uh, you should have given me something harder than wood chips. <laughs> I, I really like her uh, little tough girl attitude here. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> wood chips. You yeah. should have given me something tougher. Uh, and they, they, this is the one where they have just a bathtub of water, right? Yes, this is the one with the bathtub of water. Um, and first she explodes the wood chips and then explodes the bathtub. Well, she starts boiling the water of the bathtub and then she just lights the water on fire as yes. well. And yeah. I love Sheen reacting to it. Like, did you see the bathtub water? Oh my God. He's like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> He's like losing his shit. And, and it's a very the, fun performance. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's the first experiment. Um, it's around here that we find out what Rainbirds actually wants to do, which is basically so how her power works is like it comes out, but like she has to put it back like it, it wants to stay out. So she has to direct it into like a body of water to basically burn it out. Right. And Rainbirds like, well, what happens if you pull it back into yourself? Well, I guess I'll burn up. Mm-hmm. So, so the water is a very important part of it, right? Uh, and uh, the she she says, "Back off, back off." Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, she's putting in the water, which is maybe overdone a bit, and we hear it a little bit more it's, times than we need to. Yeah, and it's it's not really clear if she's talking to. At least at first, it's not really really clear if she's talking to like an entity within her. Like I thought she was having right. a a Smeagol Gollum moment. Yeah, no, or she's, that she's just, saying it to anyone around her. But no, she's just she's just it at herself, sort at of. her power and yeah. at herself. Like it's kind of like the equivalent of like when you're freaking out and you just like, okay, calm down, calm down, calm down. Yeah, I need to calm down. Kind yeah, like calm, calm down may have been better, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little weird, a little bit odd. Back off works if mm-hmm. the power is a separate entity from her. Mm-hmm. Then Which back off works. Kind of, sort of is, but not entirely be... clear. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the second time, uh, uh, the second time she explodes a giant brick wall. And this time it makes like the the lab tech gets scared and leaves and and everyone's all like celebrating and Rainbird's like, hey, you know, she just walked out that door. <laughs> Anyone want to go get her? And nobody does like uh, nobody gets her, but she just goes back to her room anyway. I, I like, like nothing goes on with this. Right. She just goes back to her room. It's like where she's going to go. But I, I did really like that moment where it's like, well, who wants to go get her? And he's like, well, Everybody's we just, just com- watched her blow up a brick wall. Yeah. So I'm going to just, just give you a no silence. on that one, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, yeah, he goes to her as John to uh, talk to her about things. Uh, but like she's been demanding to see her dad and they don't want her to see the dad because the dad will very likely convince her to just like, you know, you can just light everyone on fire and we can get out of here. Right. Because we can well, do that. That'd happens, be cool. But it's also a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, completely. Because it wouldn't have happened if they just left her alone. No, probably not. 
Um, no, yeah. So also we see Rainbird taking Drew Barrymore riding on horses. Uh, that's the whole thing that I forgot about. Yeah, and he's got a horse named Necromancer. Yeah. This is really lame, honestly. I don't know. That, that's very D&D. There's not, really, but, there's not really anything to it. It's just... I mean, it's I guess it's, it's 84. I don't know. He's maybe it's it's kind of a, a hipper <laughs> term then, but like it feels very D&D nerdy now. It it's really like, is. OK, Rainbird. So so, yeah, her what Rainbird wants to do is he wants to Martin Sheen's like, hey, what do you what are you going to do if she finds out that you're fucking with her? He's like, oh, I already have a plan for that. She's going to burn me and I'm going to die and drag the power to hell with me. And like as as she as he's dying, he's going to kill her by hitting her across the bridge of the nose and driving the bone fragments into her brain. Like 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 we saw him do before. Yeah. 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 Um, It's like, oh, no, he's going to make her as happy as he possibly can first and then do that and then take the power into hell. And I think he's trying to frame it like I'm making a sacrifice so that this evil power isn't in the world anymore, but it's just, it comes off creepy. I think he just wants it. I I feel like he, it it feels like he was, he's taking that to the next life and like, he's going to, that's sort of the impression I got. There's, there's a few different ways to interpret his goals, but, None of them make sense. It's very strange. (laughs) None of them are good. Uh, And it's gross. And just like, yeah, uh, all of his interactions with her are troubling. Yes. (laughs) Um, So uh, the dad is finally ready to make his play. Uh, He He pushes Sheen. He pushes Sheen. Like, this is actually really good what he does here. I love it. Uh, because he's been pretending to take the medicine and be like super stone and completely useless this whole time. Like they've been having him do tests where they send some random person in that he's supposed to push and he's just not done it, but he's pretended to do it and then uh, just let them. It's like, well, it didn't work. It's like, well, I guess it isn't working. LOL. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, So Sheen's like, okay, well, excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. You're not, useful to us hey you want to go to a different facility in hawaii do i get my drugs there yes you do all right cool now um make sure that you make sure the helicopter guy knows that you're going with me and it's like he just takes over martin sheen right there yeah from now until the end of the movie martin sheen's under his control Right. And like at first, it's just a couple little pushes. And then he's like, this isn't working. I'm just going to have to completely break his brain. And he just like keeps pushing until he's like, listen, you're just going to have to agree with absolutely everything I say from this point forward. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, no, no, uh, Drew Barrymore is going to get on the helicopter with me. Whoa, no, I can't do that. Yes, you can. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. he manages to sneak a note to Drew Barrymore, but Drew tells Rainbird. Her best friend, John. Yeah, because it's like, hey, maybe we can get you out of here, too. Even though Ra- Rainbird is clearly not there. Even the fake John character is not there against his will. 
Right, like he he did this really. He has horses. He did that really childish thing where. Oh yeah, where he was afraid of the dark. He was afraid of the dark when they had a power outage at the the facility, and the, I think there was thunder. Yeah, uh, there was thunder. Right. Had had her comfort him, uh, which yeah, it's all creepy. It's all very troubling. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. And he tells her like his Vietnam story, and here's where I'm like. So, you know how Drew Barrymore was able to discern the intent of the agents from several miles right. away? Yes, exactly. And how she <laughs> seems to be completely unable to determine the, the intent of this guy who does want to kill her? Yeah, it's a problem. I'm going to say it's native mysticism and that they're doing a thing like uh, because he's impervious to it because he's magical oh, too. You're probably right well nobody ever uses anything like on him though like nobody uses powers on him right well at the end (laughs) coming up yeah Um, so i made a note here that the random agent who gets drew barrymore to take her to the helicopter looks like bruce campbell yeah kinda a little bit um, that's it. He just looks like Bruce Campbell. It's like fair, fair, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's like, well, hey, we're gonna all meet in the stables, and that's where the whole escape slash final fight is gonna happen. Right. And, and uh, John is hiding up in the hayloft, or yeah. uh, uh, George C. Scott Rainbird, Rainbird uh, with a yeah. pistol to yeah, to take so, him out. Yeah. So um, the dad's there with uh, Martin Sheen. Drew Barrymore's there. And Drew Barrymore's like, hey, uh, John should come, too. And it's like, no, John's one of the bad guys. He's like, he's here right now. And it's like, excuse me? <laughs> and he comes up, he's like, yeah, I am here. And I'm also one of the bad guys. Yeah, like, he he comes to it pretty quick. And then, like, I, I love him. He he pushes uh, Sheen's like, kill that guy for me, please. <laughs> yeah. Please, please start yeah. shooting that man. Yeah, so... Um... So Rainbird shoots uh, Martin Sheen right in the head. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, headshot. Um, he also shoots the dad. Uh, right, he gets one in the shoulder, and so he's bleeding out. Uh, and he he tells her, you know, you you gotta you gotta go all the way, baby. Yeah, you gotta get away. Um, kill anyone who tries to stop you from getting away. Burn it all down. And I just I Hell wrote down, yeah. LOL, kill for daddy kill for daddy yeah and it so, rules and it and it does uh it's, it starts off with her burning the hinges off the door so that the horses can escape before she burns the whole thing down right because rainbird is giving this whole thing to her where it's like oh if you if you burn down this place if you use your powers all these horses are gonna burn you don't want that do you yeah, so she, she sets the horses free and then explodes him, and as he's exploding, he screams, I love you! <laughs> Creepy! Like, Dude. Ew! Uh, Dude. But hilarious, dead. yeah, hilariously, he, like, goes through the far wall and leaves, like, a Chevy Chase-shaped <laughs> <laughs> fucking hole in and the then, wall. And now we have a shit you not 15 minutes of her lighting everything on fire her just blowing everything up and it, it does 
rule like i my absolute favorite part is definitely when uh the the head scientist guy shows up in the golf cart and oh, yeah. he's trying to talk her down and then he's like nope this isn't working and he's he trying to, to get grab away. His golf cart away and she just blows it up she starts sending out like friggin meteors uh i she... think they're i think they're supposed to be fireballs well they're fireballs but they they yeah. look like meteors i agree they look yeah. like they're steaming rocks that are launching out of her head <laughs> uh, she is melting the bullets that they shoot at her before they can get to her right making her basically bulletproof mm-hmm. and uh yeah so like there's so much fire so much burning every person that's ever been associated with this facility is fucking dead it's so great. Like you, you just see her lighting people on fire. You, you see just dummies in flames spiraling through the air as she yeah. just exploded them and sent them flying. Uh, it, it's great. It's great. Yeah, um, like exploding buildings, cars, people. I actually wrote down as like, wow, I'm actually getting tired of how watching her blow things up now. It's just she blows maybe... up everything. And then, everything. <laughs> yes, everything. And then we cut to her back at that farmhouse that she just got to somehow. I guess she's their kid now. Yeah, and... I don't know. I I guess they uh, she still had the helicopter out. I don't know. Because like it she was she hitched for a ride her. with somebody. Oh, maybe she just hitched a ride. Okay. And but yeah, she's she comes. She it's joins crazy them. That, it's amazing that she had the good sense of direction to tell them where to let her off which farmhouse to let her off at but yeah how to even find them again but she's yeah. bright she is she is and then, <laughs> and then new york times he takes her <laughs> to the new york times and they go inside the new york times building and that's it we cut to credits wow the end new york times is gonna <laughs> solve it all solve it all and really really rake these dead people over the coals like both of those last two scenes we didn't need i we could have ended in the maelstrom of fire and her just you know getting out of there uh i i didn't need to see her with the old people i didn't need to see her going to the new york times certainly we definitely didn't need the new york times the old people, <laughs> yeah, sure why not yeah i, I mean, mean it's okay it it's, it's fine I, it doesn't detract from it it's just like yeah I don't really need either of them. Uh, I, I was satisfied with the mass destruction. We know she's getting away because they can't cut touch her at they all. They can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. But like the thing is, the thing about the destruction is, she, by the time she's burning everything down, we've already seen all the bad guys get killed. All the main she, ones, yeah. The, these are the, just the, underlings. She is just, just burning everything down. These are just workers, and most of them probably don't even know the building that they're working in is a secret government facility. I mean, a lot of them are in lab coats, and a lot of them are, like, well, guard okay. guys. Uh, like, that that seems to be most of them. And, like, I guess they're all just people who do human experiments. Because that's sort of what we're supposed to get, that this is, well, like, the really top secret place. This is, like, a, an Area 51 type thing for, like, human experimentation. Yeah, yeah. Which is why, you know, she's supposed to burn it all to the ground, because, like, they're all bad here. It's it's and it's a Mengala lab. A Mengala lab. You know what? <laughs> Actually, burn it to the ground. You know what? Maybe we shouldn't ever call a, a lab that Joseph Mengala worked at a Mengala lab, actually. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't do that. Somehow. Maybe not. 
but yeah, very bad. Very uh, and and I guess that's kind of the idea there that like, you know, th- these are evil uh, geneticists who are trying to like. Uh, Some of them are trying to play God. Well, they're they're trying to create disposable humans for use in battle. Basically, they're yeah they're, they're doing they're that sort of stuff. Create mindless X Men. Yeah. Like yeah, this is Weapon X. It it really is a Weapon X program. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I think it's a decent movie. I love the effects work. I, the effects I really, work is great. I really um, love the first like forty minutes where they're just on the run. I love all just the road locations are great. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The the different places they stay at, like that lake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super cool. The the second forty minutes are could have been maybe ten. They're shaggy. I like yeah, twenty probably. And I just uh the 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 Rainbird character is so problematic in so many ways. It's just a lot so easy to fix though. There are various things that could definitely have been done that I mean, you know, they stayed true to the source material except they cast George C. Scott. Yeah. (laughs) Like I don't know. Are there no native actors? There no, definitely are native actors. <laughs> Were they all busy? Eighty-four? I don't know. All five of them in eighty-four. You oh, know, yeah. like I mean, they didn't really get much of a chance in Hollywood, but well, yeah. I mean, that's sort of the problem is that I don't know if there are any big name uh, dudes who would really fit there. Like, you don't put Chief Dan George in this role. Well, no. No. Uh, but like maybe that's also part of the problem is that like this is a grooming pedophile character. Does someone want this role either? Well, maybe just the, make the it not a guy called Rainbird. Connected to the grooming pedophile. Right. I mean, all and of it. That's yeah, the it's part that. I mean, yes, it it kind of all tracks back to Stephen King's original conception of the character being problematic. But yeah, it's. Yeah. It's it's problematic all the way down and it's not great, but it it is fascinating. Like George C. Scott, he is going for it. <laughs> he's not phoning it in. Mm, no, no. Like like he's he's giving two performances here. He's he's being the stoic Rainbird and then also the, the bumbling John, and, which is troubling and weird. Yeah. 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 Strange um, movie. Uh. I don't know if I recommend it or not because it does drag, um, but it is fun. Like like you say, the effects work is good. Um, I recommend it just for the two big sequences where she is lighting up feds just like crazy, just so much. Oh, yeah. You can kind of uh, zoom out, you know, once in a while in the rest of it, but it's worth it for those sequences. Okay. Uh, oh, you know what, though? You know what movie I want? Mm. Firestarter 2 with today Drew Barrymore just lighting shit on fire. That might be fun. I mean, there's a new Firestarter movie out right now. I, I have no idea oh, whether yeah, it's good right. or not. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were saying. Yeah. <laughs> might be all right. All right. Well, uh, any yeah. final thoughts before we move on to part three? Well, yeah, I, I definitely like our first movie better than our second one. But yeah. let's say... I'd say one strong recommend and one re- weak recommend yeah both you know decent uh 80s horror things uh but i would say yeah lost boys is certainly much more iconic 
Lost Boys fucking rules. Yeah. All right, well, on to part three. And we're here for our final part where we're going to talk about movies watched in the past week and decide what we're going to watch next week for our 50th episode. Oh, my God. We've been doing this for a year. <laughs> Full year. Crazy. A uh, hundred films. hundred films, a hundred laughs. Uh, <laughs> we'll... So we're we're going to do maybe like a bit of an awards show at the end of next week's episode, because uh, spoiler alert, we're going to also do just a weird gimmick uh, way of choosing the next movie. Uh, not today, but next week. And uh, we're going to do a Jay's pick uh, for our uh, pick at the end of next week. But this week I did watch a lot of stuff. Oh, you sure did. Uh, so first up is Jaws 2. Uh, bride of jaws as we kind of discussed it's basically the thing is it's never actually really clear and i think in the novelization it's mom of jaws oh okay all right but you know it's another shark it's another great white shark troubling amityville uh roy scheider his son is now one of the main characters his son is a little bit older uh and he's into dating now uh and you know, his dad's embarrassing because he's the sheriff and all of that. Oh, uh, yeah, right. But, like, so you see the shark in the first 10 minutes, in contrast to showing up an hour and 10 minutes into uh, the first one. Yeah. And you see it a lot. You see it frequently. It's in a lot of scenes. You're seeing a lot of shark attacks, and you're seeing a lot of the shark in all of them. And it starts to look a little bit fakey and silly. <laughs> Uh, they're yeah. like you're gonna see it this time man we we were like you know we couldn't show it as much last time you're gonna see it all the time <laughs> but not showing it made it work uh yeah this is fun though i okay. i do admit it's pretty fun uh you have like a whole bunch of annoying teens introduced who can maybe be eaten um it's pretty brutal and violent at times the one of the funny things is like the first big kill scene uh one of the people being attacked has the foresight to uh cover splash a bunch of gasoline on jaws and fire a flare gun okay so jaws has a whole bunch of burn scars on one side and he's just like has an all burnt half burnt face which is you know very distinctive for a killer shark (laughs) It's two-faced jaws. It's two-faced jaws. It's it's silly. It's it's quite heightened. It's like much sillier than the first right away. Like Heads, it's immediately tail, goofy. Tails, I eat your head. Uh, and like it's it's the it's got like a whole showdown where they're like trying to figure out how to kill jaws being attacked by one like on a flotilla of rafts. <laughs> it's fun stuff. All right. Uh, next up is Spider Man. Get me some pictures of Spider-Man. Pictures of... I need pictures of Spider-Man. Uh, J.J. J. Uh, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson is fantastic. Like, that, that is the real, like, coup of this movie that they made. Oh, yes. The most perfect casting choice for Jameson that's never been... Like, even MCU, it's like, we're just going to use the same guy. Yeah, it, well, it's not been... Yeah, it's not been duplicated. It hasn't even been attempted. No. Since then, wisely. Uh, although Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin is also kind of perfect, and everything he's doing is great. <laughs> I love the his big... Gollum moment. <laughs> I like his 
I'm a bit of a scientist myself, you know. Uh, like very heavily memed movie. Like every scene oh, yeah. of this movie has been extremely memed, and maybe that's why I liked it more. That I, it's just I'm so familiar with every moment of it that I've kind of been won over. <laughs> uh it's 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 not i don't love it i still don't really love it i i do feel like it's kind of wonky it has that very specific way comic book movies used to be just before the mcu so like it's kind of compressed and they streamline a bunch of things for the mass audience that are kind of like too compressed maybe like I don't know all of the little tie-ins to and how compressed it is with the wrestling and uh, the the robber and Uncle oh, Ben. Oh yeah, right. I don't know. It 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 does feel a little bit much at times. <sighs> Kitty. Yes, Kitty indeed. Just uh, calm down. A yeah, bit. I heard her purring. Uh, I I do think the web slinging is done just incredibly well. The spider sense looks great. Like Raimi was the guy to do those. Yes, they they look incredible. Uh, I do feel like most of the fight and action scenes otherwise feel kind of action figurey with their helmets on, especially the Green Goblin helmet, which is just a big problem. Mm, yeah. How do you get rid of the special effect that is Willem Dafoe's face? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I find the organic web shooters thing really gross. <laughs> it's just yeah. icky. It's it, well, it's unnecessary too. It is unnecessary. Like I, I get like it's just an extra suspension of disbelief that like this teenager, this teenager is so brilliant that he invented this thing. But well, yeah, he's Spider Man. This is what he's, he does. Right. It, that's sort of the point. Versus, the yeah. point is that he is a scientific super genius who also happens to have spider powers. The problem is, like, I always think of uh, there was this online comic strip, Bob the Angry Flower, <laughs> and uh, it, it 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 had a headline regarding a Spider Man esque thing uh, that always stays in my mind whenever I see like the organics web shooter scenes where like he's figuring out how to use it. Where it's city jizzed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next up is Devil Times Five. Uh, it's a killer kid movie. Okay. You get these five killer kids. Their uh, their transport, their medical transport bus crashes on this snowy road. Uh, one of them is dressed in the stolen clothing of a dead nun. <laughs> As you do. Because uh, you know, it's a, there's a priest and a nun on the on board, and they they uh, the the nun dies, and the the priest is after them for a while. He later shows up, and they kill him. But they basically they they show up at a '70s swinger village. Like there's there's a bunch of executive swinger types okay. who are very '70s, uh, and yeah, they you know they kill them. <laughs> they, they they kill all the adults. It's Lake Arrowhead. Uh, it's very nice and snowy. Uh, ridiculous amount of slow-mo abuse. Uh, it's pretty slow. Like, it has that same kind of TV movie vibe that uh, uh, Firestarter has. Oh, okay. All right. Next up is The Demons. Jess Franco's The Demons. So we've already... Did we even... Did we cover it? I know we watched a movie called Demons. Uh, this is a different one. I don't remember if we covered it. Yeah, no, we did. This... We did do demons, yeah. Okay, cool. 
But uh, yeah, this no, is, this isn't the same. It doesn't look like. Right, no, this is The Demons. Uh, so this is Jess Franco doing basically the Devils of Ludon story. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, well, I, I should say, not basically. Uh, it's him doing a ripoff of it that is like horniness spreading through a convent. And there's like... Well, I mean that's that's basically what it is but like it's it, people learning about masturbation in sequence and there's like <laughs> there's these corrupt inquisitors who are in town and like they're so obviously corrupt they're like they're they they speak to themselves about how we're kind of just into this for the kink though you know and then they like torture someone and have sex and <laughs> it's really weird i i uh, guess my big question is what does a not corrupt inquisitor look like well, I mean, the, these <laughs> ones are so boldly corrupt, they're not even pretending to be affiliated oh, okay. with the church most of the time. They're just like, ah, let's uh, masturbate while we uh, uh, torture this person. Uh, and, like, the the thing, though, is witches are real in this. Okay. <laughs> they're, one of the people is a witch, and they're, like, enacting a family curse against a witch that they burned in the past. Uh, it's... It's silly. It's it's a Jess Franco. He's, you know, the sexy nightmare stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wasn't expecting the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. Next up is Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, I I've seen this once when it was new, and I remember liking it, and it's pretty well received. But I don't remember anything about it. There's not a lot to it. It does kind of feel like just an extended episode of the show. Uh, and maybe more extended than uh, it could sustain. Uh, but okay. like, I, I do love the look of it. Like, it's just that show looked so great. The, really, that show looked amazing. Just that shadow, uh, shadowy, gothic, art deco, just super aesthetic, really gloomy looking. And I really like Phantasm. I think Phantasm is a pretty cool villain. Uh, and you got a bit of Joker in there, too. Mark yeah. Hamill's Joker, which is fun. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of just a long episode of the show with, you know, a, a, a fill-in a top gangster guy who, you know, only exists in this so they can kill him off. Yeah, right, right. it's decent. It's it's not like great, but it's perfectly solid. And it's the only movie version of the TV series. And the, the TV series is kind of an iconic version of Batman. One of the most. It really is. The TV version is Probably like one of the best cartoons that came out in the 90s. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's up there anyway. Oh, yeah, I love it. And it really holds up well, especially the first couple seasons when it's later Batman and Robin. It's a little iffier, but yeah. mostly pretty solid. They made a lot of episodes. Yeah, I, I remember like thinking I was going to marathon at one time and no. realizing there was like hundreds of them. And I was like, I thought there was only like a couple seasons. Yeah, no, like there there were, I think, four seasons, but each season had like 30 or 40 or 50 yeah, episodes because that's how lot. they did those animated ones back then. They just really pumped them out because they wanted to show them every single day. Yeah, yeah. I remember like Ninja Turtles was like that, too. Mm-hmm. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Real The real Ghostbusters. The real <laughs> Ghostbusters. And then just Ghostbusters, which is the one with well, the ape. Yeah, weird yeah, show. Yeah. Uh, next up is Tombs of the Blind Dead. So this is a, a movie, a zombie movie. We've got Knight, Knights Templar zombies. Oh. Uh, this is a movie that it's like 
there there's not a lot of kills in this movie it's it's pretty slow moving it's much more atmosphere but like i love the first girl uh you're used to the final girl and it doesn't really pay to be the first uh, and it doesn't for her but she's the coolest uh she enacts the curse basically all right so like she is on a train to go uh like on a camping thing with uh what she thought was her boyfriend and an old friend of hers who's come along and they're like flirting hard and she's like being squeezed out of this and she's like i don't want to deal with this so she just jumps off the train to go explore uh an abandoned castle that she sees okay because she's just cool i love her (laughs) she's like and she like goes i was like is there any way you could stop the train and let me off and i'm like are you kidding me there's nothing here it's like what's about that castle like there's nothing there and it's like she just and she just like climbs up and just like jumps off the train and screw you guys and uh and she you know goes and explores the abandoned castle which has like a big crypt with a bunch of uh pagan symbols because you know they're evil knights templar well and what does a good knights templar look like i don't know so uh, you know she she hangs out in the crypt at night and she, you know, smokes cigarettes and listens to jazz music and broods because she's just so cool. And she raises the dead because of this and starts the zombie apocalypse, I guess. All right. Uh, they're, the, the zombies are pretty slow moving this, but they do ride on horseback, Ooh, which I is like, something like you don't that. see very often. No. Uh, and the end, like, it's pretty slow moving, but it does have an incredibly escalated ending and the ending is just like whoa holy shit i didn't think it was going here <laughs> all right uh next up is halloween which i i guess isn't really on the list but you know i watched halloween again it rules it's still yeah. the best we've covered oh, it yeah. we've covered <laughs> it we're we're not gonna we're not yeah. gonna do halloween again yeah uh next up is beauty day uh, which is the documentary on ralph zavadil or cap'n video Oh, I'm, I'm not familiar with uh, with him. So he was sort of like a precursor to like Tom Green and Jackass. Uh, he was a local cable star in St. Catharines, Ontario. Oh, okay. So best known for his pool plunge stunt, where he climbed up a ladder and uh, was going to jump onto uh, the tarp of his pool to like make it more fun to move the the tarp out of the way okay because this is the sort of thing he did right, uh and right. he, uh the 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 ladder fell and he landed directly on his head on the concrete and broke his Ugh. neck and then fall onto the tarp and was sinking until his neighbors oh, saw him and came and saved him my god uh that didn't end the show he you know he did lots of stupid stunts and that was just his thing uh, but he, he did ultimately get shot down over animal abuse accusations because there's a part where, like, he uh, put chocolate sauce on the back of a dog and then licked it off. <laughs> this is the kind oh, of thing he did. I know. Yeah. But he. That's not. We, we, okay, yeah. Okay. It's not something you should do. But, you know, no, don't ob- do obviously. This. Do not he, do this. That's the thing he, he also does is always uh, don't do this at home. Woo. You. Uh, he he kind of does a David Lee Roth thing. He's got big poofy uh, '80s rock guy hair, uh, and is just always going, "Yeah, you." <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it's interesting. He's just a real weird Canadian dude. <laughs> Uh, and it's like it's catching up with him 20 years after and like his best friend is a 9-11 truther and he's just oh, no. oh yeah and he he's doing a 20th anniversary celebration that he's hoping maybe the cable station will air <laughs> oh boy all right uh, yeah it's interesting. interesting uh next up is cthulhu mansion now i feel like cthulhu can't fit in a mansion well, it's it's a mansion that is uh, part of the Cthulhu mythos, so it's it's got a doorway to, you know, a, a place where a Lovecraftian beasties can get through to our dimension. Well, that's not good. We don't want them here. They they should stay no. where they are. No, I mean that's that's sort of the problem. But so, we can't do anything at all about it, which is also a part of the problem. Well, you you got to have a really strong door, and that's usually what these places have, and this place has one of those. Uh, but the thing is, they're, it's it's owned by this old magician who – he's working at a cheap carnival. So the, the locations of this movie are great. you got a cheap carnival, and you've got a haunted mansion. Both of these are awesome horror settings. Oh, yes. Iconic, of course. Yeah. Uh, and this carnival magician, he has deep secrets, and we we have a flashback at some point of uh, this time his wife burned to death during their act, uh, which I, I think it's the opening sequence of the movie is him doing this act, and the wife uh, working as his ex- as his assistant is being levitated and then bursts into flames, and it looks like he's just doing it in like a school auditorium. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Because there's like an audience and stuff. It's not just like a right to Cthulhu. But it does mean that Cthulhu is on his Rolodex from that point forward, which is important. Mm, ah, yes, yes. Uh, uh, but yeah, now his his daughter is his other assistant, and then he's got this mute guy, this mute strong man. They're his right. assistants. Uh, and there's these this gang in the carnival, and they knife a Coke dealer on a dark ride, and they want to... You know, they, they take the, the magician and his assistants as hostages and go back to his house, the haunted mansion, of course. Right. Uh, and, you know, he, he unleashes monsters on them and, you know, they they uh, kill them. There's a fridge monster. There's a guy who gets <laughs> drowned in the f- drowned in blood in the shower stall, which is really rad. Uh, my absolute favorite part is uh, he knocks someone out and the the bag of cocaine crawls out of the pocket just like is walking around like on <laughs> the the corners of the bag and it throws itself into the fireplace that made me <laughs> laugh really amazing. hard amazing <laughs> oh my god okay uh next up is across 110th street uh this one's a pretty fundamental uh black exploitation soul cinema like uh early 70s kind of the start of the wave all right, all right. So we got Yafet Kodo and Anthony Quinn as the cops. Uh, so a black cop and a white cop. Yeah. And they're just always too far behind the case to ever catch up, basically. Right. That, that's their whole thing. Uh, it's it's very violent. Uh, at the start, we have these three dudes. They knock over a money transfer between local Harlem gangsters and the Italian mob. It's a, okay. Really dumb thing to do. Uh, uh, yeah, those that's a group you don't want to be in the middle of. You don't yeah, want to so, be in between those. Yeah, because soon you have 
both of those guys, uh, both of those groups after them, as well as the police. Of course. Uh, so it's just everybody after these three dudes. Uh, it doesn't come out well for anyone. Like I said, it's super violent. <laughs> um <laughs> Incredible theme song. This is when they really did theme songs. We got Bobby Womack's theme for this. Uh, like, so iconic of a theme that it got reused for the opening credits of Jackie Brown by Quentin Tarantino. Just like, eh, same song. Same. We'll use it for an, another opening credit sequence. Whatever. <laughs> right on. Uh, next up is The Love Butcher. Which the is, Love Butcher. Yeah. So this is like a proto-slasher. Pretty goofy. Uh, it's, okay. it's, 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 it's the one I was telling you about this, like Stefan Stephen Urkel as a slasher. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> this guy, he, he's this, he, he seems somewhat incompetent. He's a gardener by day. Uh, okay. and he, he doesn't seem all that well. Uh, but at night he puts on a toupee and becomes his murderous, <laughs> sexy, Lothario <laughs> brother. His, yeah, his <laughs> evil toupee. Uh, and he kills girls with garden tools, uh, usually after seducing them. Uh, and he raves about his masculine essence and then stealing his fluids and stuff. Uh, oh, really? You know, he's one of those guys. Uh, and making just, the frogs gay. <laughs> and he has just, or the, the movie has so much truly awesome, real, ugly 70s interior decoration. Like just loads of it. Nice, nice. Uh, last one is The Nude Vampire. Uh, this is a Jean Rolin movie. Uh, like Firestarter, it's kind of an X-Men movie in disguise. Oh, really? Okay. okay. Uh, so it, there, there's like... Uh, it's, it's very weird and dreamy, as any Jean Rolin movie will tend to be. And there's this rich guy who has somehow kidnapped an orphan vampire... And he is keeping her from ever seeing a human face. So anyone who's with her always has to wear masks or hoods all the time. And he's got this suicide cult who kill themselves and then she eats them. But like always with their heads covered, you know, because... She can't see faces for some reason. He's trying to learn the secret of immortality through her, uh, through experimenting on her. And I don't know. uh, The son of this guy sees her and immediately falls in love. Uh, Also, there's like basically a vampire team, uh, basically like, you know, a vampire X-Men trying to liberate her. Uh, It's really weird. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a strange little thing. It's less melancholy about being undead. In this one, it's like, well, vampirism is a mutation, and she's this separate species, and you know, we just got to learn the secrets of immortality from her, and we're gonna have to find another vampire to mate her with. And strange, right. very very strange. Hmm. All right. So from those, what do you figure? Uh, you know, there's. I'm not too sure, to tell you the truth. We got a lot of interesting choices this week. We do, we do. Um, Anything I can provide so some further there, info? Yeah, for, so you said that the first girl in The Blinds Dead was really cool. Is the rest of the movie that good? Uh, I like most of it. Like I, I don't like the remaining people all that much, but it kind of doesn't matter because it's sort of just more about 
the weird atmosphere of this place uh just it it is a really excellent location it's like this seaside crumbling castle uh that you know is probably real and just you know that the, they're almost all skeletons because they're ancient dead oh yeah and they're blind because uh they were all hung for their crimes and birds picked their eyes out right so right, they're right. blind zombies none of them can see they just feel their way to people so if you're silent uh, they can't find you, but when people start screaming or making noise, they start coming after them. Okay. And how, I actually don't know what I want the answer to be, but how true to the Cthulhu mythos, if you even know, like, I, I don't know if you're even into that at all. I I read H.P. Lovecraft in uh, any lobby or anything. Like, I have the complete short stories of H.P. Lovecraft on my Kindle, <laughs> and okay. just like anytime I'm somewhere, I'm just reading H.P. Lovecraft shorts. So yeah, I'm pretty okay. So, with it. so you're pretty familiar. <laughs> uh, Cthulhu Mythos, uh, it's barely. Uh, it's it's really just like uh, we're we're sort of using the name, but it's it's more just about there's an unknowable, unseeable horror uh, lurking within the shadows of this place. But like he does blood sacrifice to it accidentally, and that's why. Uh, he can sort of bring it up when things go south here, but yeah, oh, it's okay. not that it's it's not deep into the lore at all. No. All right, all right. Uh, well, in that case, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say across 110th Street. All right. Actually, it's a pretty cool movie. Uh, just an absolute banging theme song. Uh, and you know, just a, a bunch of cool '70s actors, uh, and yeah, it's 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 got a real uh, gut punch of an ending that I'm looking Ooh. forward to talking about. <laughs> oh boy! All right, all right. Uh, so we've only got a handful of additions to the main stacks, uh, yeah. more than we've had recently, actually. I guess. Uh, so first up is the Sentinel which is uh, Michael Winner, who did Death Wish, best known for Death Wish, I guess. Uh, it's right. like his his riff on the the Satan wave. So like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, it's sort of a uh, combination okay. of those. Uh, so it's like the, there's a model and she rents this New York brownstone apartment and there's just a gateway to hell in the basement and the neighbors are all weirdos. <laughs> hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, next up, surf Nazis must die. It's kind of All funny because Nazis must die. Well, sure, but no surf <laughs> Nazis, right? Uh, we just killed a few in the in the last. Exactly. Movie. That, that's why I found that kind of funny. That uh, this is another movie that involves surf Nazis, uh, but it, it's a trauma distributed but not trauma made movie. Okay. Uh, it's it's set in a post apocalyptic California, where there's been a huge earthquake. And the coast has been taken over by neo-Nazi surf punks. And there's this grandmother who's hunting them down to avenge the death of her grandson. Cool, cool. Uh, next up is The Mob, which is a 60s Canadian crime film. Uh, there's a drug smuggler uh, hiding out in Montreal because uh, he took a job as a hitman. Uh, doing a hit on a prominent New York City mobster. Uh, right. And 
that was a big mistake and now everybody's after him so knowing everyone's closing in he calls into like a radio talk show to start spilling mob secrets while they're all closing in on him oh cool okay yeah it sounds kind of interesting uh next up is the time guardian uh this one's set in the year 4039 uh ravaged by the cyborg wars <laughs> Ooh. Uh, judgment day happened i see uh, basically so it's there, there's the the last survivors of humanity are gathered in this city and they want to transport the whole city back in time to 80s australia because there's a lot of space there well yeah there is <laughs> uh but like so they're they're sending some scouts ahead first because they've got to prepare things because like i don't know the city's on stilts or something and they need like a base for it to be built and ready when they transport it i don't know sure. uh, uh carrie fisher is one of the scouts i oh. my understanding is she's in it very briefly because uh even in the late 80s this movie couldn't afford carrie fisher <laughs> yeah yeah, you know, they deal with time-traveling cyborgs, as you do. It is obviously a Terminator knockoff. Yep, yep. Uh, next up is X, the man with the X-ray eyes. He sent into one of those uh, comic book things. I guess. Well, he, he developed this. So this is Ray Milland, a classic actor. Uh, it's a Roger Corman picture. One of the more, I don't know, well-known Corman, I guess. Uh, so he he's developed an X-ray vision serum, which obviously tests on himself, uh, but maybe it makes him able to see through too much. Maybe he can see through space time and reality and will be terrified by what he sees behind it. Oh, yeah. See, you just want to see through the clothes. You don't want to <laughs> see through the life. Yeah, I, like it. I, I, my understanding is it's kind of a Lovecraftian thing where it's like he just kind of sees behind uh, reality to uh, just things behind it that he doesn't want to see. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. could be anything. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right, that's cool. Yeah, uh, and last edition is the Island of the Fishmen. <laughs> you can kind of guess what this is about. Is it uh, about an island that has people who are like part man and part fish on it? Uh, yeah, well, they're they're man-eating fishmen who menace the island, of course. Uh, so it's it's uh, shipwrecked prisoners. It's like a prison transport ship, uh, and okay. they're all shipwrecked on the island. And you know they're attacked by fishmen. And also there's a voodoo priest, or there's it's a voodoo island. There's practitioners of voodoo there as well. You know, just cool. get some extra stuff in there. Well, yeah, I mean, just fish, man. It's like you can just not go in the water. You'll be fine. Yeah. But if you got well, voodoo priests. The thing is, if they're fishmen, they can come out of the water for you. You know, fishmen are, oh are a real God, dodgy proposition. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a uh, creature from the Black Lagoon type thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, those are all the additions. What do you figure for next week for our 50th episode? For our 50th episode, well, I had been thinking, like, uh, to kind of bookend it, because we kind of started with Zad Zadoichi, so uh, I had been thinking maybe we could do a Zadoichi for number 50, but but uh, I kind of, I think, want to do something that I've been looking 
that I've been looking forward to doing and forgot that it was in the stacks, but it's a movie that mm. you and I have watched quite a few times in the All past. Right. Um, it happens to involve a uh, mutated exploding snake, a blow up doll, a skateboard, and I'm talking, of course, of Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Hard Ticket, our, our third in the Andy Sedaris universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, sounds like a good time. We'll do some Hard Ticket to Hawaii and Across 110th Street next week for our 50th episode. Wow, how time yeah. flies. Yeah, I can't even believe it. I honestly thought we had like a month left. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> but I yeah. also think it's April. Right, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so uh, next week we'll be covering those two, and then uh, we're doing a Jay's pick. I, I don't. Know, I think I mentioned this earlier, and we're uh-huh. going to do uh, a gimmick pick. Uh, we're going to uh, pick something to not watch and choose the thing. We'll watch something underneath it. Uh, more about that when we get there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're going to do a few things a little bit different next week, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Should be fun. Uh, my description there was uh, completely incoherent, but it'll make sense when we get there. <laughs> it will. It will. Um, hey, we don't need to do get into it right now, but it does make sense, and it will be fun. Right. Okay, so uh, any last thoughts before we close for this evening? Um, yeah, just carnivals man you gotta there's just monsters all over the place in these things you can't go anywhere the fun house has draculas and marshmallow frankensteins the other fun house has doppelgangers you've got zombie or vampires just stay away from boardwalks i think but they're do. so cool. I love all the neon. No, the and neon though. Win the things, and they might have those sugar powdered donuts. Mmm. Mmm. Well, like my my thing is just like I I love the carnival for a horror setting. I like I've oh, been yes. to carnivals oh, yeah. and I don't really necessarily. Oh no, I don't want to go to an actual carnival. <laughs> my yeah, I don't really recall loving going to the carnivals themselves that much, uh, but. Yeah, I love the look of a carnival. I love things <laughs> set at carnivals. I love the idea of the carnival, but if I'm going there, I want to be the only one there besides the workers. I like that Tony Hawk <laughs> pro skater level that's a carnival. That's fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, and uh, cry, little sister.